0: everybody and welcome to a new episode of the MinMax Show. Thank you for being here. My name is Ben Hansen, and
1: this is a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm joined by Leo Vader. Hello. I've got VR goggle face right now. I came straight from the virtual realm to be here. How is I mean to ask you, how is that virtual realm? A thriving. Really? Everyone's
0: happy. Doing better than out here. God dang. Well, you can go back anytime. Uh, we're also joined by contributors, Jacob Geller. Hello, uh, Jacob Geller. I still am tickled pink by seeing people in our YouTube comments still like amazed that you do stuff with MinMax every once in a while. Like what? <laughs> the Jacob Geller is just talking about Stanley Parable on their YouTube channel. It's amazing. That's right. um, so you're a hot celebrity. I don't know if you knew that, Jacob Geller. Good. Uh,
2: this is yeah. I, I'm giving back to the community by doing this show. <laughs> that's
3: right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> we're also joined by contributor Joe Juba. Hello. I'm not as famous as Jacob. I look,
0: I see nice comments. They're definitely the type of comments that people will be like, I've seen this <laughs> schmuck's face for over a decade now. Wow. I No, get is it. that
3: the Joe Juba? <laughs>
0: the guy who has mentioned Final Fantasy VI a couple times? Now sign me up. Uh, just to yeah. be clear,
2: this podcast is going to be me and Joe talking about Vampire Survivors for two hours, right?
0: Oh. <laughs> is that what's on the schedule? Look, I'm not against it. Uh, by the way, Jeffum uh, has never played that game, but he's going to be streaming it for the first time on Thursday on Twitch. So if you want to see Jeffum's uh, mind melt with the beauty of Vampire Survivors, you can check it out, or you can just play the game for yourself for three bucks. But is there?
3: Here's, here's, coming here's, to Game Pass.
0: Ooh, really? Yeah. PC
3: Game Pass, right? Oh,
0: PC Game Pass.
3: Yeah. Okay, PC
0: game. Look, I, I, I want to well, defend I PC Game Pass. It's just <laughs> no, it's someone a notch did,
3: I, I I only know this because someone told me that yesterday, and I had Ben's exact reaction, which was like, why did I play it on PC instead <laughs> of waiting for console? And it's like, oh, no, wait, it's not coming to console
0: yet. I just think whenever it does make that console hit, it is going to be a juggernaut. I know it's kind of tricky right now in early access for when they lock in a build for the console version, but I'm sure every, every one of the big three is just... Screaming at them! Please give us a version on console right now, which is so silly for a game that looks so simple. If you haven't seen it, we talked about it before. Uh, it's basically like a riff on Castlevania, Castlevania Bullet Hell, I guess is how you describe it, but um, also a half idle game, but not idle game because you're roaming around this map and destroying a bunch of things, but it kind of auto attacks. Um, is there? Here's, here's my question. I like the game. I go back to it every now and then and think, boy, this is this is a delightful time. Are there levels that I'm not seeing? Like, could here's my challenge: Could you, Jacob Geller, have a conversation with Joe Juba right now about Vampire Survivors, and make it compelling on a podcast? That's my question.
2: I don't think so. Okay, I mean, so I I have played now 50 hours of this game. Oh my which, god! Do you know, like, for a game where there aren't really deeper levels, I feel like that's impressive. And the fun thing is, they just add new characters and achievements. Like literally, you know, every like like more frequently than once a week. And so I am just like the reason that I'm playing usually is like they just added four more achievements and now I'm going to get all of those.
3: Yeah. And that's I mean, I have also put in I mean, I'm at 45 hours and I started playing a week and a half. Oh, about. my. God. <laughs> oh, my God. What are you doing, man? <laughs> uh, so I, I get I get pretty into it. I think what and you you guys have all talked about this, but I, I, I think the real genius of this game is in the is like they've just perfected that sense of dangling a carrot in front of you and giving you a satisfying progression, right? It's not just like, because it's not like, oh, I just got an achievement, pat yourself on the back for an achievement. It's like, when you do that thing, like, oh, survive for 30 minutes with this character, then you unlock a different character, or you unlock a new weapon, or you unlock this whole system of like, oh, these are passive buffs that you can have going, like, even late, late into the game, you are unlocking like new systems and layers that are like just always have had me saying like, I just got to do one more run and get this one thing to see what, what happens next. Yeah. So
0: I wonder if people from Konami are like kicking themselves right now. Like, Oh, should we try and license this and give them the Castlevania license? Can we, will we see vampire survivors or Castlevania colon vampire survivors in the future? Like a weird themed version of it. Kind of like, you know, Canes of Hyrule with Zelda. I feel like it's so close. Just, there's gotta be something they can tap into.
3: Possible. Well, it's also funny because it's already so close, right? Right. Like there's right. a grim. There's a grim reaper character. You can't just be like, now we have Castlevania's grim reaper. Yeah, I mean, because, I think and they effectively have Castlevania's grim reaper already. <laughs> right, right. And they effectively have Simon Belmont, except he's not Simon; it's some other guy, you know. But and
0: that's why that. I'll speak for Leo. That's why I'm also bummed out that they didn't copyright the grim reaper when they had the chance over at Konami, because
1: <laughs> now just any <laughs> schmuck can
0: use him and it's not fair.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then we wouldn't have to die anymore in real life. <laughs> that's right.
3: That's a great point. <laughs> Copyright infringement anytime
1: someone's <laughs> about to die.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you all hear from my lawyer. But uh, Hey, that's Vampire Survivors, everybody. Check it out, please. Uh, but Citizen Sleeper, uh, Jacob Geller, you did the thing that I really appreciate where you reached out, I think it was on Slack, right? The same way you did for Norco to be like, hey, Citizen Sleeper is the absolute best and I need some place to talk about this thing. Um, And then other people stood up like heroes and said, yes, we have also played Citizen Sleeper, which is on Xbox Game Pass. It's on Switch. It's on PC. Um, Now, this is also a very wordy game, very smart person game, if I may, if I may project and uh, simplify things out. But how would you describe what Citizen Sleeper is, Jacob Geller? So I think think there's a really, there's an interesting distinction between
2: something like this and Norco, which we talked about a little while ago. And then kind of going back into like, uh, Kentucky Route Zero and uh, Disco Elysium and all of these other kind of games that have a perception of being like, oh, it's like reading a book and it's a game um, which Citizen Sleeper is kind of like that in that there's a lot of text and it's very kind of like prose you know, it's it's kind of like poetically written and whatever, but the thing that Citizen Sleeper has that these games, these other games don't is like a mechanical pull that that kind of keeps keeps pulling you forward in a way almost like civilization and i say that because i i played this game in one sitting and it is not short it's (laughs) like like i i started playing this game pretty early in the morning and i sat there for seven hours and just played the entire game um because it, it, you're you're playing a character and you're kind of a there's an interesting you know you're you're kind of like a robot or something but you're <laughs> managing uh you're managing a, a couple of different resources but the way that you manage those is at the beginning of each day you were given a number of dice and you have many different things that you can essentially spend those dice on like uh you know you can go kind of like scavenge in a scrapyard and hope that you find some money and the higher your dice roll is the more money you get but you only have a maximum of 6 like dice per day so you cannot do everything and those things are both linked to resource progression but also story progression meaning that like you'll know, you'll use your 6 and there will be things that you're like really close to or you're almost out of a resource or whatever And so then you'll click kind of like go to sleep next day and wake up and know exactly what you want to use those things on. And that's just a cycle that repeats. So it's not the difference between something like this and Norco is in Norco. The only thing that keeps you going is wanting to see the next kind of piece of text. Right. And in this what keeps you going is like wanting to maintain your resource economy which is a really kind of uh it's a really enthralling sense of just like wanting to keep going so you can make it
0: yeah leo i am so curious to hear your take on this game as being a systems kind of man i can't figure out if this one has enough of kind of the you know tabletop rpg systems in there to compel you or if it's too narrative heavy or where you're landing on this thing
1: I'm enjoying it for sure. I think it does a really great job of feeling immersive, despite the camera never going inside the ship. You know, you're just looking at these icons and seeing characters occasionally, but you're still hearing the ambiance of the bar you're in or whatever and seeing 2D art of the characters. And it ends up being like a really cool, just life you're leading of like trying to get by in this kind of derelict ship, like everybody's struggling in here. And it ends up being immersive because of, like, all the decisions you're making and how everything factors into how people respond to you. Like, you go to this restaurant and eat this food, and every time you eat it, you'll get closer with the restaurant owner. And then eventually he'll, like, give you this new quest to do. I think systemically it's not super complicated or anything, but which is, like, good, because it's kind of intimidating just seeing all that text at first. Right, but it is totally. Pretty pretty simple to get into after the first, like, 15, 20 minutes. But yeah, I really love how you wake up in the morning and you see the dice you got and you're like, oh, damn it. Or, oh, hell yeah. And then you start to plan out your day before you even go do it. It's like this six would be great for this really risky thing. And then I'll use this one to hack that node I've been meaning to hack. Yeah, because I, importantly, really cool you
2: can like you're not rolling them. You see all of the numbers. And so you can plan if you have like if there's a task you really don't want to fail you can see that you have a six and you can use the six on that task. But then often you're stuck and kind of in a desperate situation where it's like, well, a one is bad for this, but like I need money. So I'm just going to kind of try and do this.
0: Yeah. Joe, is this scratching any itches for you?
3: Uh, Yes and no for me. I think I ran into a weird technical problem where I played for an hour And it just stopped giving me the upgrade points that I should be getting. Uh, So Hmm. I don't know. I I don't know what happened, but because there is like a whole character development thing. Uh, But it kept telling me like, yeah, you have upgrades available. And then I'd open the screen and it wouldn't let me do anything. Uh, But weird. What system are you on? I mean,
2: those do they come Uh, really slowly. So you might be encountering a glitch, but also it's like you get like one an hour.
1: I definitely have seen upgrades available when they're not available at all, but when you complete drives, which are like the little quest lines, and you get upgrade points out of that, those I have always gotten. But it has said I am ready
3: when I'm yeah. not. That's the thing, is like, I I've completed three drives and only spent one upgrade point. Uh, Damn. Uh, but anyway. But your character's so- dumb. <laughs> It's it's possible, but to, but uh, that, that, that weird hiccup aside, like I'm, I'm really into like the world and the writing. Yeah. That's really cool. I think, I think that's cool. As someone who has like played and loved uh, Disco Elysium, it does have a lot of that vibe to me of like, yeah, like, like Jacob said, a very sort of uh, like prose narrative driven sort of, uh, sort of experience. But I'm not digging the resource management thing so much. I think, for me anyway, if you compare it to a game like like, Disco Elysium, I think for me the thing that's holding me back on Citizen Sleeper is that failure isn't interesting, right? Failure is is basically always punitive. Whereas in Disco Elysium, I felt like it was a lot easier for me to sort of roll with the punches and feel okay with different outcomes because sometimes a failure actually opens up an opportunity or a story moment that you didn't have otherwise. And at least in my time playing Citizen Sleeper, failure was always just like your condition goes down. You're you're more hungry now. You know, there wasn't there wasn't anything interesting that came from blowing it. You know,
1: I have a couple narrative things happen, interestingly, but you're totally right about the resources.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I agree.
2: And it's an interesting point, because what I would say is like, desperation is interesting and what this game has made me feel that disco elysium didn't is like really feeling like i am screwed in a fundamental sense like it's like i don't know how i'm going to like pull myself out of this and then the fact that like i did you know i never fully game over it and had to restart there would always be like maybe it's scripted or maybe I just got lucky or like a stranger kind of comes through in like a real time of need. Like there were several of those where I was like, I truly don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And then I did. And that was cool. But it is true that it's like when you fail, it's just like, you know, just just like negative credits.
3: Yeah. And I think that's the difference between Jacob and I on this game is like <laughs> that. That feeling may be interesting. And that is absolutely not what I want. Out of, a, out of a video game I'm playing. I I don't want to feel that anxiety about whether or not I'm going to survive, you know?
1: Fair. Yeah. I'm with Jacob on that too, though. I love how, like, in this game, there are so many different threads you could choose to chase down or not, and I love that there are just certain things where I'm like, this is my path out of here, and I'm going to put everything into this. There's, like, just enough... I, it works for me uh, narratively because some of the writing of certain... Storylines, I'm just like not interested in, and I just don't have to do those. It's like, I'm going to focus on the characters I find interesting.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're glossing past just the quality of the writing. Like, I, I started this game. I don't think it's exactly my cup of tea, but I started it and immediately was struck by like, oh, this writing is immediately better than I expected, where it just opens with the person talking about feeling disconnected from their mortal human body in this new life, in this new era. And it's just like, oh okay, there is good writing in games every once in a while. This is really standing out in a significant way. And it's just, does it maintain that throughout? Do you think the writing is top tier here? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it, I, I would say it kind of
2: accelerates as you, like, build connections with characters and stuff. The, the you know, lead developer of this game is uh, someone named Gareth Damian Martin, who previously made the game In Other Waters, yeah. which was kind of a a indie hit or something, where it's like, again very abstract like you don't really see any characters but you're exploring an underwater alien planet but it's also very kind of narrative and it's like yeah they're just a beautiful writer and enough so that they can make a game with like pretty evocative non-specific graphics and just give you like so much writing that you really feel like you kind of understand what's going on
0: yeah i i know that's I'm sick of everybody being like, time doesn't exist anymore because of the pandemic and all that stuff, you know, that you hear nonstop. So none of you say it on this podcast, please. But I was struck, yeah, looking into this developer and technically it's Jump Over the Age is the name of the developer. But yeah, Gareth Damien Martin is the one man show, I think still for this game, at least on the website, it was listed uh, for I another while. I mean, waters. certainly
2: like uh, they worked with uh, different artists and stuff. Okay. Well, like like the lead artist is also someone kind of prominent, but yes, they're the they're the main writer and okay. developer and whatever.
0: Gotcha. What it struck to me is, yeah seeing what they'd worked on before. And it turns out it's this game in other waters. And it's like, Oh, that game came out in 2020. It's like, wait, like after the pandemic, I just feel like it's so bizarre to be like, all right. And now they're at this level where citizen sleeper, I'm sure people are going to be championing it at the end of the year for one of the greatest games of the year. And it's like, Oh, these people can just come out of nowhere and make their career. And so congratulations. It's, it's a hell of a
3: sophomore effort here. I had a big, I had a question for Jacob about this without, without spoiling anything about it. like, how do you feel about the way it ends? Like is it a is it a satisfying ending to the story? Yes, well so what's really interesting about that is like as
2: Leo said there are there are a bunch of different threads and you can kind of by the end you can explore all of them. And so I kind of I saw all the potentials and they all had kind of like pros and cons and ultimately I was like I want that one and like i recognize kind of the the compromises i'm making for this one but like yeah i saw i saw like kind of all the different potentialities and then was able to choose the one that felt truest to my character which was really interesting and like usually in a game with multiple endings i feel like they don't just kind of present all of them to you as clearly as this one eventually did
0: Right on. Yeah, I saw people in the uh, MinMax Discord raving about the soundtrack, too. Uh, it elevates oh, it's the great. whole experience. Yeah. But yeah, Citizen Sleeper, it's on Switch! It's on Xbox! It is on Steam if you want to check it out. I'm sure it'll be coming up again and again here. Um, hey, everybody. I had a very kind of fun E3-ish moment already where I got to attend a digital preview event for the new Saints Row coming out in August of this year, the big Saints Row reboot, where it was an hour-long gameplay demo behind closed doors as they used to say back when there were doors do y'all remember doors at preview events
3: wait yeah was this hands-on or hands-off it you was it play? was
0: hands-off i mean okay. my hand was on my
3: you keyboard as i was taking notes back in the- <laughs> <laughs>
0: pre-pandemic
3: when we all had hands. oh
0: those are the days uh but yeah it was an hour-long gameplay demo and it was fun just to really see this game in action outside of the trailers. Um, You know, it's like, hey, we're trying to highlight the zaniness that this game does have, everybody, moving on. But actually seeing an hour of this game in action more or less than there is an interview with the developers uh, at the back end as well. Um, I felt pretty impressed by the end of it. I felt like people, even going into this, I think this game is a little bit under the radar. I think, like, what they've shown so far seems super solid. I don't think it's going to revolutionize the open world genre or anything, but I'm such a fan of Volition. Like, you know, I visited that studio back for the Saints Row 3 cover story trip and really fell in love with them. Obviously, I love Red Faction and so much of their history going back in the day. Um, but I, I, I've been optimistic about this game. And after that hour-long demo, I feel like, okay, there is a place in the industry for this game. I think it's going to find its audience. It's just, a, I think they got out on such a weird note with the messaging because you're screwed if you go out there we're like, hey, we're rebooting Saints Row. And the question is, okay, is it more or less wacky? well, naturally less wacky than where we left it with Gat of the Hell and Saints Row 4. And then I feel like that's automatically turning off some fans. And so now the messaging has like pivoted and it's really interesting to try and follow this. Where like in this uh, presentation they say, hey, welcome to the biggest, boldest, ballsiest Saints Row ever. So they're still trying to like get some hyperbole for like, this thing is wild, everybody. We just can't technically say it's as wacky as the past. Uh, Joe, yeah. I see you grimacing and trying to process all
3: this. Well, so I'm kind of curious. I know Ben, you you visited Volition and stuff. Yeah. What is what is your background like? Playing the games? Have you played Saints Row?
0: Yeah, I, I'm not a colossal fan. I've probably put you know ten hours into Saints Row three, maybe five hours into Saints Row four, maybe two hours okay. into Saints Row two. We're talking we're talking a dabbler here.
3: Yeah, yeah. Cause like in my mind, what's interesting is you, you talk about it not reinventing the open world genre. And I mm. feel like I feel like there are kind of two axes that I am judging this game on separately, right? One is how does it compare to other open world games, and for me more importantly, is like how does it compare to other Saints Row games? Because Saints Row, I feel like as a franchise, really filled a particular space. Right. And like and like Scratched a particular itch that not a lot of open world games did. So even if it sort of is falling short in some traditional open world areas, as long as it's like scratching that same itch, I feel like I'm still super interested in it. Yeah. What is, is that itch? itch? Is, it, is
0: it dick jokes or what? What is your itch, Joe? It.
3: I think it's it, it's like it's what you talked about—the zaniness of it, right? right. The right. like the and I'm not saying I know that people tie that stuff into the 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 humor of it sometimes but i think it can be separate too it's almost like uh it f- feels to me like at its best it's like the video game equivalent of the fast and furious movies right yeah. where it's just like like starting kind of grounded and then just escalating slowly but absurdly until you're in space you know
2: yeah it's like it's one of one of my favorite i feel like levels of a game from the ps3 360 era was just like parachuting into a nightclub in saints row three while power by kanye west plays and it's just like nothing individually you were doing was like that crazy but just like that combination of things felt really cool and not like things other games were doing you know like that was just like a great time that felt very specifically saints row yeah,
0: yeah. they didn't uh they didn't show any licensed music in this presentation Ooh. that I recall for like a big set piece moment or something but I, f- I feel like they got the memo that people like the use of licensed music in the Saints Row series so I'd be surprised if it's not in there
1: and you do dive yeah. into a nightclub well, there you I go Saw that in the gameplay yeah what do you think
0: about this game so far Leo
1: I'm into it I think uh, Saints Row 4 I did enjoy but it certainly made like the cars irrelevant because you're flying around with superpowers and stuff and it's interesting that the locomotion in this game seems to be drive around launch yourself 50 feet into the air with an ejector seat ability, wingsuit, land on a different car and get in it. And I feel like if that loop of actions is like quick and satisfying, then I'll be playing this game to completion easily.
0: Totally. It's like an Arkham Knight, how satisfying that was just like, like launch yourself into the Batmobile whenever. And there's a lot of wingsuit action going on. So you can launch yourself with the wingsuit. And then, you know, instead of like a well, Just Cause, I'm trying to remember. I guess you can do the grappling hook in Just Cause, which doesn't apply here. But uh, use the wingsuit, and then as you start to glide down, you can target pedestrians on the sidewalks, and you launch yourself off them. So the zaniness is still here, everybody. Like the, It makes no sense. But you just basically target a pedestrian, and it acts almost like a... Sonic spring pad or something. It's like, boing, if you touch a pedestrian, then you just, like, shoot back up in the wingsuits. So you can just, like, keep this chain rolling as long as you can find somebody to launch yourself back off of. So it's it's goofy as
1: all hell. Um, right. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I definitely there think was... there's room for it right now. Totally. I feel like the, the, the thing that made this franchise was because Saints Row 1 came out on Xbox 360 before there was a GTA. And now I feel like there's a similar dearth of maybe not open-world games, but, like, open-world Crime games that kind of appeal to the mass market.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. There was a question uh uh probably a couple months ago at this point that was uh it was like, would you rather play X or Y? And the question was a seven out of ten Breath of the Wild 2 or a 10 out of 10 <laughs> right. Saints Row remake. Right. And we were all just like like our heads exploded at the <laughs> concept of like what would a ten out of ten Saints Row remake right. look like? Right. <laughs> do do you feel like you could like answer that better now (laughs) is like is there
1: is there Um. any
2: part of this that you saw where you were like oh this is this is going to be like good in a way i didn't expect it would be good
0: no <laughs> I don't think so I think I feel like you know what you're working with here other than the message of like I think it's going to be a little bit wackier than people expected I guess the thing that would make it a 10 out of 10 is I guess is if you when you jump off people in the wingsuit if you get launched super high in the air if they could like triple that mm. height maybe there's something there we could work with um, but you know even like you know they showed a couple different spots in the game and one of them because you start out and the Saints aren't a thing you're like forming the gang here You're just four roommates as it starts out right um but it starts out and there's oh there's a character getting arrested by the cops and then another character comes in goes off a jump in their car slams Into a billboard and then drives on the billboard sideways, knocking it over and taking out the cops and then rescuing the other player and continuing on. So it's it's very fast and furious in that way, Joe. But then it escalates beyond even what that series has done. We're like, you know, there's guns that are like pinata launchers. You have a gun that's basically the far sight from the perfect arc that can like shoot through walls and stuff. It seems uh, delightfully silly. You get like... Don't forget, Saints Row 3 had a dubstep gun. That's true.
2: Saints Row
3: 4. That's sorry. true. And Look. that's the peak of comedy. It can't get better. Can't get better. Mm-hmm. So, but one of my questions about this, I was reading... <laughs> I was very enthusiastically reading a bunch of previews uh, this morning when, the when you know, the embargo lifted for yeah. the Saints Row stuff. And one... Uh, one preview was saying some stuff that worried me a little bit. And that's basically like the developers emphasizing how much they want you to connect with the characters and yeah. connect with the story. Yeah. Did, for you, Ben, did, did you feel like that was sort of at odds with all of the sort of like, how can you simultaneously tell a, tell a relatable story with characters you genuinely care about and put them in these like ridiculous, you know, turning people into trampolines that you wingsuit off of. Or I, I
1: mean,
0: yeah. I guess, think of how many people are so weird about Johnny Gap and like insisting that he be in this game. Like, people have connected to the Saints Row characters in the past, right? I'm not defending the character portrayals we've seen so far. They're certainly trying. It doesn't seem like it's going to be too obnoxious with okay, now let's get to the dramatic moments here. It feels like it It knows what it is, right? Okay, good. I mean, um, I'll
2: I'll go to bat for like, I. so I've played three and four, but it's like I like those characters more than like the characters in GTA five, you know, it's like, I felt like they were like, did actually pretty good kind of just like here, here's a little bit from them, but you like know who they are and they're funny and not annoying.
3: Part of the trick with that too, is like that Saints Row kept a consistent cast for a long time. Right. Or like not, not the whole time, but uh, like Johnny Gat was in, I think he was there from the beginning, but then you have characters like Shandy and Kenzie and uh, like, that get multiple, like, I think you're naturally going to connect with them when you have multiple games with them. Mm -hmm. I think it's maybe a little harder for a reboot with a 100% new cast. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. To build it all back up for sure. It's tricky. Um, Yeah. There's
0: definitely, you know, the stuff that's new is they're like, Hey, now you got, uh, you got skills. You can equip four skills at a time. There's, Skills like, okay, you can have a flaming punch, or now you have fire resistance. Um, You also have finishing moves for everybody. And they were very big, because, you know, I'm, again, fascinated too much by marketing, but, like, what are they trying to highlight? They are really pushing customization. Like, you think you've customized characters before? That's child's play. Look at this customization, and look at this. You have all these emotes you can use, which I'm like, okay, whatever. But they have, it's a revolution. Everybody hold on to your butts here, because they have walking emotes now. Where you can walk around, you can play a guitar as an emote. So like you're walking through the streets playing this acoustic guitar, and everyone's like reacting to you on the sidewalk and stuff. So you know, there's there's fun, silly stuff for everybody. Um, could could they could you make a character fat? Because ooh, Saints Row, ooh,
2: interesting. I think four you could. It was one of the only games. You you still there was very limited range but it's like most character creators it's like oh my god you can change their hair but it's like there's one weight type and that's it and saints row had like a little more than that in the past which i found fascinating
1: yeah i don't know i don't remember i assume you can it looks like you can they had a they had a video on customization with the with the sliders being moved around and it looked like it
2: it's like it's just it's weird how that is you know i get that like rigging a game is hard but it's like with all the customization it never goes into having your character be anything except a you know guy or a girl with a six packs
1: yeah thin tough or slightly bigger tough
2: (laughs) yeah oh you want big
0: shoulders okay (laughs) right right uh yeah so uh joe you'll like uh, your headquarters is a church you can upgrade that throughout the game so you know upgradable bases that's that's always seems like a fun thing um, I'm always
3: on board with that.
0: Yeah, they're, they're emphasizing um, kind of the off-road vehicles this time around. Like, hey, you'll spend a lot of time on the dirt bike riding out in the desert because it's centered around like a, a fake Las Vegas, right? Which seems like a, a cool city. Um, but it kind of reminded me of like um, Cyberpunk in a way, just the amount that you're spending out in the desert outside of the town. It's like, okay, that seems, that seems newish for a Saints Row. Uh, drop in, drop out, co-op, all that stuff. Um, yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend this thing already saying it's going to be great, but I do feel like it's getting a bad rap because it's just inherently less zany, but I think I think it might surprise people when it comes out as being more Hopefully solid than they expect. it
1: hits the sweet spot. I I'm certainly in the mood for like that design ethos that only Saints Row had at the time, and nothing has now. Of like, you can unlock cheats in the game. You know, like you'll just spend money and get to have unlimited ammo for the rest of the game. Yeah. I hope there's a lot of weird stuff like that. I think it's going to be dated in a good way in that kind of arena. But the thing that looked dated in the gameplay that might be bad is just like level design out in the desert and inside big buildings. And yeah. like a lot of the fights were just happening in like big wide open areas.
0: Yeah. There's one section they showed off where you go to like a, uh, a big concert out in the desert and stuff. And there's like scaffolding and there's like, you know, the different groups and factions you have to take down. And one of them, or like, ravers, and they have, like, spinny sticks and whatnot, so you're, like, fighting people with, like, these glow sticks on the scaffolding at a concert and stuff like that. It's like, okay, that seems that seems novel. I haven't seen something like that before, but I could see it. Um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what that team can pull off. Like, it is a different creative director than they've had before, because, what, Steve Jaros is over at Valve, I think, still, um, who's the original creative director for the Saints Row series, but now it's... The director is Brian Traficante, who was at Volition for years and years working on the Red Faction series, I think, like, Armageddon specifically, so, you know. But art director, and then he went to Ubisoft and came back, and then the writer, lead writer, is Jennifer Campbell, who has been at Volition for a long time. She was, like, on the QA team for Saints Row 2, so I'm interested in them, like, promoting from inside to see what that new writing and directing talent brings to it, but I'm, I'm optimistic about it. It's, uh, they say it's coming out August 23rd on every console known to man, I guess, other than Switch. Um, I'm just curious, too, like, it'll be interesting test for kind of the All Holy Embracer Group, right? Because I guess it's published by Deep Silver, which is owned by Embracer Group. So might be the biggest Embracer release of the year. So I'm curious to see what
3: kind of traction it can gain. Well, and okay, so it's coming out in August, which at least as far as we know right now is kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Dead Zone is exactly right, but I mean, I'll, traditionally, a game that releases in August that doesn't necessarily have a lot of competition can do pretty well because it's, the sort of uh, herald of all of the games they're going to start hitting more properly in like September, October, November. Right. So people are people get sort of like jazzed for it, but don't necessarily have that game to latch onto while they wait. You know, so it, it could be it could be real smart.
0: Yeah. Also, if every other game from twenty twenty two is getting delayed, which it probably is, except for Nintendo stuff, like I think there could be a hell of a runway for this thing. So I think it has I think it has a good shot out there. Could be game of the year. And Who knows? Sorry, Elden Ring. We really like this stupid (laughs) wingsuit. What are you going to do? Hey, Leo, what have you been playing, man? Regale us with something cool.
1: Uh, I finally have gathered the courage to play the Grim Fandango remaster. I love that. I love you right now for doing that. I loved that game as a kid, even though I I would walk around for an hour, look at the walkthrough to get through, walk around for an hour, look at the walkthrough. You know, Mm -hmm. I would always try and solve the puzzles, and I don't think I could solve a single one. Right.
0: You have to and Google Robert Frost real quick, try and figure out what these jokes are actually referencing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that too, for sure. Um, and certainly in like replaying the first act, it's like, if I didn't remember exactly how to do this, I would be screwed. There's some really obtuse stuff in there. But as I got further, it's like, oh, I remember this less and less, and I feel like I'm actually solving it now. And it feels pleasantly possible to do that. It feels like, oh, I'm an adult, and I'm like really internalizing what these characters are saying like there's not a lot of throwaway dialogue a lot of times they're hinting at what you have to do and the the situation you're in and yeah yeah and like using the items with the things you have to use the items on for the most part it's pretty logical and when i solve a puzzle i feel smart and satisfied
0: nice yeah we just talked about griffin dago i feel like not too long ago on the podcast but so where are you at then year two forget i'm in year three now year three okay Underwater. Underwater, of course. Are you streaming this? No, I'm just
1: playing it on Switch.
0: Okay. I do feel like that's a sweet spot, is streaming adventure games and getting like subtle hints from people. Like, It turns out, no matter how old the adventure game is, if you have hundreds of people watching you on Twitch, it's enough of a hive mind to get you through any slightly obtuse puzzle from these designers back in the day.
1: Right. It's funny because I have the uh, director's commentary on on that remaster. Yeah. Which is just like when you go near an object or go into a new room, you can just press left trigger and to hear them talk and it's fun to do that after you've been through an area a few times and you're not totally sure what to do and you're like let's just mix it up by listening to this little mini podcast while i'm here but then sometimes it will give away the answer to the puzzle so it kind of works that way and they talk <laughs> about like everybody told me to cut this puzzle because it was too confusing <laughs> but here it is but now commentary way of the future but the look and sound of that game hold up like perfectly. oh my god
0: oh my god this soundtrack is unbelievable yeah. Especially in the remaster when they went back and re-recorded it, it's just oh, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, Joe, so is good. this your beautifully directed cutscenes? Yeah, oh. is this your cup of tea?
0: I forget Grim Are You an old Lucas adventure guy?
3: Me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I played some of them. I I was a lot more into the Sierra adventure games. Oh, so you like, weirdo! No, I mean I I played. I mean I. For a while, the only adventure game I owned was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Lucas one. So like, I played that so much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other ones like uh, like the King's Quest series, the Quest for Glory series were uh, things that I I was really into. So hell yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Do
0: you think um, you're finishing this thing, right, Leon Fandango? For sure. Please do. I
1: feel like I already have gotten you know. Oh, Over the Hump? There's only four years in that game, right? I think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, there's there's just a couple areas that really suck. Like the boat puzzle with the chain, I remember, is confusing, even if you're like looking
1: at a walkthrough. Have you already done that one? Yes, I made it through that. Okay. Only because I remember how confusing it was as a kid. That one could have used more, what if we did this? Right. What if we accomplished this somehow? Yeah. <laughs> you really put in a room with no direction. <laughs> I'm just so happy
0: that those remasters happened. I mean... I feel like for years and years, for so long, it was just this given that, like, well, of course, things like Grim Fandango are just lost to time. Who knows where those rights are, I guess? Disney owns them now, and they won't want to surface that because it confuses the brand of Coco. And they're like, oh, no, nope, they actually made it happen and got double fine to do it. It's incredible.
3: Really curious about how, like, I haven't seen any sales figures for these kinds of things because yeah. that's the kind of thing where it's like, as someone who is an old-school adventure game fan, who hangs out with other old school adventure game fans. I feel like there is a, like I have a misrep, like, like an incorrect representation of how interested people are in playing remasters of old, like nineties adventure games.
2: Totally. Like they are on game pass. So, you know, maybe people kind of more idly curious can get them. I I say that not having downloaded them myself.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's, this is totally just, like, pure conjecture, but I feel like a lot of those, like, remasters, I think it's great from, like, a preservation standpoint that, like, hey, this is a game that it, the people who are interested in it can access it easily. But I feel like it probably flopped a little bit in terms of garnering a new audience, right?
0: But then again, for a remaster, I mean, you're not trying to make Assassin's Creed Valhalla money. Like, you know, you're going to make your money yeah. back from the work you put into it, and you can also revive it for the sake of history, like... Thank God somebody's doing out there, you know? I, yeah, I, for yeah. sure.
1: And it probably wasn't a crazy amount of work because it seems like all the same cutscenes and the same bugs I remember running into as a kid.
3: Oh, yeah. Are still in there. I wonder... Well, I hope Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade is next. I can't imagine any licensing problems making it <laughs> difficult. Well, honestly, so. <laughs> I wonder with Indy 5 coming up, how much they're going to be leaning into that.
0: Obviously, they got the new one from Machine Games coming out and whatnot, but, like, I've never played through Fate of Atlantis, and I feel like mm. all the video game snobs are like, oh please don't you know that fate of Atlantis is secretly the second best Indiana Jones story and all this stuff. It's like, okay, maybe I got to check it out at some point here. I I think you can get that on steam. I think you really, I'm pretty sure. Or or like, like
2: GOG or something.
0: Yeah. But I wonder if they would want to try and do something in the remaster front for that thing. Just try and bring it back into relevance. Seems like they got some smart folks over at Disney. Um, Hey, speaking of smart folks over at Disney, like John Drake, um, Leo, do you know what I was playing this last weekend?
1: Oh, God. Could be anything from that setup.
0: Uh, <laughs> Rock okay. Band. Close. Uh, no, I uh, took Drop Mix back out. Harmonix's beloved Drop Mix. Hey. Uh, Fuser with the cards, as it's called. Analog Fuser, I believe, is the original code name for it. Um, but yeah, I was, I was playing it and enjoying it because uh, my fiance is like, You've had that Drop Mix board game on that shelf, and I have not seen it. And we've been together for. <laughs> almost three years uh what are are you hiding from me yeah exactly how has it been that long like i feel like i drop mix is very relevant in my life still so i had to take it out just to show her it all worked and then i was like what am i doing like i i love this game so much it is time to actually go on amazon and find all of the cards that i don't have to get like the series one and series two cards like i might as well just have a complete set of these drop mix cards
1: and Doing? I haven't touched this in three years. I need to get every (laughs) single thing for it. Just for like, you know,
0: that time five years from now when I go back to it, I can have a couple more tracks. It's like, hey, not
3: too shabby. This is a fun one.
1: It's certainly the the only cards I cared about collecting. It's exciting.
3: Yeah, totally. You get
1: something cool for having each card.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Do you get to write that off as a min-max business expense? Oh, absolutely not. I, I don't <laughs> understand how any of it that works. It, it became content. It's All capital right. C content, right? Oh, there.
0: boy, what have I become?
1: Your uh, Show Plus, we should do 1v1s. I can teach you the competitive mode. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Would that have to be in studio? Yeah. Okay. That's a fun idea for sure um also leo we're getting out everybody's hits here and this is a very leo centric episode we apologize ahead of time everybody um you said as god is my witness we will talk about writers republic once more on this podcast
1: once more (laughs) into the breach
0: that's right uh what's happening in the wide world of wacky sports and writers republic man
1: we're up there shredding nar nar we're going nuts (laughs) and you posers couldn't even try uh There's a new mode. It's being slept on like all of Riders Republic is, and that's okay. I just hope it survives long enough to get a few more seasons of cool content before they sunset it. But the new competitive mode is like uh, a big, big departure. The controls are completely different. It's not about doing tricks at all. Instead, it is almost hero-based. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) An arena mode where you're collecting... Uh, these little lightning bolts and bringing them back to your base to bank them. But you can see how many lightning bolts people on the opposite team have, and you want to kill them and take their lightning bolts, stop them from banking them. And so there's three different classes. One of them, you charge into people to destroy them. One of them, you lay traps and you can double jump. And one of them, you have a mounted turret on the back of your bike. What? You're aiming and shooting (laughs) a sniper class. And there's a lot of fun gameplay moments that come out of those little systems. There's like a moment where I was racing back to the bank with the most most lightning bolts I'd ever had. And I, I jump off of this elevated plateau to get away from somebody. And I look down and I see that there's a trap that I'm about to land on. And so I'm... Furiously aiming and shooting as the sniper class to destroy the trap as I land on it and, like, not get killed. It's like a weirdly thrilling action moment that this mode is full of. And you can rank up. There's fun challenges to do associated with it. You can unlock the spider, which is the name of the trap setting bike, to just use in the open world and set
3: traps with and blow up your friends. So, Leo, how invested does someone need to be in Riders Republic? To enjoy that. Like, is it possible to say I've not played any of this game, but this mode that Leo's talking about sounds fun. Can they just pick it up and jump in?
1: I'm sure you have to get through the two hour tutorial or whatever, but then, yeah, you don't even you don't have to have any knowledge of how the regular game works. And because even jumping is like less complicated. It's streamlined to be all about like the competition, the PvP.
0: And I just I. Just encourage everyone to dive for that mute button on their TV while playing through that tutorial. But once you get past
1: that, it is a pretty cool game. Turn the voice volume down. Turn the damn music volume down. Turn your own music. <laughs> Have a good time. Right, Leo, I turn love the that fun up. I love that Let you're sticking finish. with it. Turn oh. the fun up. Sorry. And the fun <laughs> is turned up. Now I love that you're sticking with
0: this thing, man. Like I feel like Riders Republic, it, it came and went, but. Hey, it's a Ubisoft game. They probably have
1: 40,000 developers working on this thing, making content, and no one else is acknowledging it. So God bless you, dude. It even came and went a little bit for me, too. I took, like, a couple months off, and then I got back to playing it every, like, week or two, just jumping in. And every single time I booted up, I'm just like, I'm so right about this being good.
4: (laughs) (laughs) so
3: insanely fun. (laughs) (laughs) i just love i love the zeal with which you play this game because like it really reminds me of the people who like like after an mmo has been announced like after it's been announced that they're shutting down the servers in one month but then there's always just that last week where everyone's like i'm logging in and playing this game no matter what i'm seeing it seeing it off into the sunset and that's for sure. even no. though even though they haven't announced any closing plans for it, it's it feels like that to me. Sort of every like, week could be my last for sure. <laughs> yeah, like th- throwing a party in an abandoned town. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah,
1: Riders Republic, everybody from yourself. Fun. Yeah, I'm talk about this game forever. Okay, it's cool how I like missed a mass race because I. uh you know, it calls you into a mass races. It's like, oh, one starting every half hour. Come join. And then I I missed it because I was doing something else. And I was uh, searching for a showdown match. The name of the new mode, if I didn't say it, is called Showdown. Uh, and I couldn't get it for like six minutes. And I was like, what's going on? Is nobody playing this game? And then I realized, oh, just like the whole community is doing a mass race right now. I just really love that, like, sense of, like, all these writers doing these events together. It feels like, you know, the pitch, the E3 pitch of this game becoming real.
2: But we're we're going to have 70 people playing this game, and they
0: are all going to be doing <laughs> this one mode. Yeah, and they'll be ins- and I, did,
1: I did find a showdown as soon as it was over.
0: Okay, all right. And those 70 so right. will be insisting that the world is wrong, that this is the place to be. Look, it's easy to rag on old Writers Republic, but probably has more players right now than Citizen Sleeper. I mean, than like so many other games out there, it's just Ubisoft, huge game. I'm sure it's got a ton of folks roped into it.
1: Yeah, I wonder.
0: Um, well, hey, uh, Joe, do you know how this type of uh, thing is operated and
3: supported? A lot of levers. That's right. Pulleys. Yes.
0: That's right. It's really Wizard of Oz over here, it's a whole uh, contraption. Uh, but hey, we. Are a podcast we exist because of Patreon. You can go to patreon.com/minmax with two ends, check out those benefits. I guarantee you that there will be at least one benefit that you'll go, "Oh, that's pretty good. That one seems kind of cool." Check it out for a month. I bet you'll like it. Jump in that Discord. We'd love to have you. Also, a uh, fun plug, check out Minmax's uh, Instagram account. We upload stuff there all the time. I do a video every single day uh, outlining what I'm working on and where we're working on that day and what we're releasing from Inmax's content. So it's a great way to keep tabs on us, what's coming up, make sure you don't miss anything, but also just learn, yeah, if I support these people on Patreon, what are they doing with that? Uh, I outline it every single day for you over on uh, Instagram. And the, the juicy part is we give away a free game code every single week on Instagram if you leave a comment on the podcast post every week. And look... I don't want to tell people what to do. People compete in a big bad way in Trivia Tower every month for codes... Instagram, we're basically giving them away. There's usually like seven comments on these things, so it's pretty good odds that you can win a game code. So give us a follow on Instagram, we'd appreciate it. And thanks to some of our bigger supporters like I Am 8-Bit, of course. They want everybody to know that, oh, this is a good one. Get ready, Joe. That the Muppet Movie Vinyl Soundtrack is available at I Am 8-Bit's wonderful online store. It's been reimagined for the first time in over 40 years. It's a completely remastered vinyl soundtrack. It's got the green vinyl for Kermit. It's got the pink vinyl for Miss Piggy featuring timeless classics like Rainbow Connection and Moving Right Along. Check it out. i bit is cool. Please help support them with the cool stuff they do. Check out that online store and you can use the promo code Mayonnaise mayonnaise for the entire month of May and you can get 10% off everything in that store under $100. So please check that out and support them in a big bad way because they support us by doing such kind things as shipping out a prize each and every week to whoever submits the best question of the week for the mid Show podcast over on Patreon. This week our favorite question... The prize shall be Etherborn on the Nintendo Switch. A physical copy of that. I'm bit will ship that out to them. And again, these questions, they're all just comments on Patreon. Support us at any tier over on Patreon. You can submit a question or comment, and then you have the chance of winning a great prize from our friends at I'm 8 um, Are you all ready to jump into this, sucker?
3: Yeah. No. Hey, I just realized, you don't do community kickoff anymore?
0: Oh, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes if one makes sense. Um, okay. Yeah. Did you like it?
3: I liked it, but... I mean, I'm just noticing now we didn't do it, so.
0: Yeah, well, the thing is, it's like, well, I I do it if there's maybe like some newsy stuff that we could kick it off with, but the kind of the newsy stuff is a whole can of worms, which you're going to see very soon. There's kind of an overwhelming theme to what people want to talk about uh, in the questions. <laughs> so I was like, well, that'd be the first half of the show, um, yeah. but I, I'm interested in hearing feedback if people uh, want it up there, no matter what. But uh, Leo, um I just thought of a really smart person that I want to talk to right now more than you. Is that okay?
1: good yeah no i don't i don't answer questions anyway it's but important to my brand that i'm kind of like closed off
0: right 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 okay well you can go um lock yourself in the other room and don't talk to anybody
1: bye dude thank you bye
0: oh but clap though oh,
1: okay now
0: uh i mean you don't i mean you're on there right now you can say whatever you want it's kind of an honor really you don't have to clap right now
1: Wow, this is my moment. Yeah. <laughs> All eyes are on me, waiting for me to let us go to the next thing. Keep right. talking about oh, boy, Riders yeah. Republic, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got new outfits. I've <laughs> 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 been taking photos of them. They're cool. All right. I think I'm going to clap now, but it's been great talking to you guys. Okay. Bye, Leo. Bye, Leo.
2: Bye. bye.
0: Kyle Hilliard. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. Um, you're the smartest person in the world. This is like we read well, every single person on earth, and we said you are truly the best person to be here for these specific community questions from the next community. So we need well, you here.
4: It's funny that you call me the smartest because I was like panicking because at 2.30, uh, I signed in to be on the show because I've never just clapped in for questions. Really? And I'm like... I was messaging you and I was like, did the schedule change? What's going on? Why is no one getting back to me? And then I like went back and looked at old messages and finally noticed that I was only on for questions
1: this week. Oh no, sorry. What a stressful life. It's your fault
0: Uh, that I missed
4: what you told me. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Look, scheduling's tough in this
0: day and age. You know, you just got to stay glued to slack. Uh, Thanks for being here, Kyle. Uh, How's your day going, man? Good. It's going good. Yeah? Um, We haven't really talked about your new job on
4: the show. Do you want to? (laughs) Be yeah, funny if you said sure, no.
3: We're
4: talk about it. Do you, do you want me to take it away? Is that, is, is that what you're saying? Man,
3: why don't, why don't you talk about Kyle's new job for a
4: bit? Yeah, talk about it. Let me tell <laughs> you <laughs> about this
3: game mill industries.
4: No, Kyle, what, what is your new job? I'm the mobile gaming editor at GameSpot.com. That's cool. Uh, GameSpot. I've been yeah. reading them since I was a kid, by God. I know.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Mobile editor. Is that, is that strict? Like if they're like, hey, we have a review that we think you'd be great for, but it's not technically on a phone. Can
4: you just be like, hey, check the job title, buddy. No go. How does that work? At least initially, that is what they want me to do, honestly. Right. Like as time goes on and I get more comfortable with everything and I know how much work I need to be done. They're very they're, they're encouraging of me, which I appreciate, honestly, of being like, look, just worry about mobile We'll take care of the other stuff. Like we want to elevate mobile. We want mobile to be a bigger part of the website. Right. We need you to like take care of that and grow that. Don't worry too much about the other stuff, which is sort of counter to what Game Informer was as a comparison, because we were all kind of doing a lot of different things all the time. Right. And it's it's been kind of it's been an, an adjustment for me to be like, okay, those people over there, it's a bigger staff. They have all that covered. I don't need to worry about that part of it. I can just focus on, you know, Nino Cooney Kuni Cross Worlds coming out next week and figure out what that game's about, you know? <laughs> Good living.
3: Or you just sit there playing Kairosoft games all day.
0: That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, congratulations. Uh, what that means for you here, probably not that much. It's about the same as your role at Game Mill, where it's like, oh, you had a full-time job before and still made it work, right?
4: Yeah, and GameSpot, they're open to me being on min-max, so I'll still still—I'll still be here pretty often.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, Lucy James and Tamora over there, I think, have 46 different shows um, between them, so right. yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, hey, we got a bunch of community questions. Uh, Bear Commando writes in, and they say hello crew, and welcome Kyle. Interesting. Um, Is anyone else a little relieved by Starfield's delay, simply because of how packed this holiday season was shaping up to be? Between Breath of the Wild 2, Starfield, Harry Potter, and Pokemon Scarlet? We're going to be over- overwhelmed with huge open world games all dropping at the same time. Um, we were at some point. Now it seems like it's significantly scattered. But yeah, it was right as we were recording the podcast or we were posting the podcast last week that uh, Bethesda made the announcement that Redfall, their arcane game uh, about killing zombies, co-op, um, that that was delayed to 2023. Um, and then also the holiest of Holies Starfield was also delayed to 2023 it's not going to make its sweet 11 11 release date which they were so passionate about because of that connection to skyrim and that was when skyrim launched all that fun stuff um but
3: yeah bear command is wondering is anybody else relieved by such an announcement yeah i'm i'm not relieved so much for my own sanity in terms of like the games around it but i feel like if I, i wonder how much more patience people are going to have for like a game that Bethesda launches and is as like buggy as they have been in the past. Right. Right. I guess like for me, for me, my relief is coming from the fact that, I mean, I'm sure there's still going to be little, little bugs in it, but like the idea of playing a more polished Bethesda game at launch rather than a buggier one in November is very exciting to me. Do you think it's
0: just we're getting older or the game industry is also getting wiser about being less angry at the concept of delays?
4: I think it's just because there's never any – there's always stuff that, like, I'm backed up – like, I have a backlog of things I want to play. Right. Where, like, I remember when Twilight Princess got delayed, I was, like, really upset because that was, like – that was it for that month or whatever, you know, that was like all I was looking forward to, uh, where now it's like, I'm not in a rush to play Starfield at all. Um, and it's not because I'm not interested in the game. It's just cause it's like, there's other stuff to play. Take your time, make it better. Yeah. That's interesting. Even just, yeah. I mean, with so many games releasing every
0: day, maybe that softened the blow. You're right. It's not like, you know, the 128 bit generation with those delays, like we're like, okay, maybe there's a, Soccer game releasing on the Gamecube that you can jump to if you really want to, but other than that you're screwed, buddy
2: i mean I feel like the the one two punch of fallout seventy six and cyberpunk basically kind yeah. of you know finally smacked some sense into people of just like getting the game earlier isn't better like you none of us wanted this this is this isn't the game we wanted, and it would have been better if we just waited a little while longer.
3: Yeah, I feel like it was a little bit of like a boiling frog scenario, right? Where it's like like I felt like companies were releasing games that were it's like gradually in a in rougher and rougher states. And those those two games specifically were like someone turned the heat up too high too fast and some and like Fallout and Cyberpunk were just like nope, even with day one patches and follow-up patches and whatever like that is that is too rough to be paying full price for.
0: Right. I wonder if there's something too of just people learning lessons from even early access of seeing how rough a game can be. And then it turns out when it goes 1.0, Hades rules. You know, so I don't know. It's just like collectively we're all learning more and more.
2: I played Hades when it first launched and it was still perfect that's like true like it didn't it have is, any bugs that's true it was it was a, just, a bad example less stuff there
0: it's <laughs> still rock solid yeah even uh the first prototype word super giant is just the most solid game you've ever played in your life i don't know exactly how they do it but it's i it's did uncanny. i
2: found something in that question interesting which they were saying that that the holiday was kind of stuffed and it's like well breath of the wild 2 and starfield aren't coming out and i right. don't really have interest in harry potter or pokemon and so it's like Kind of doesn't seem like there's much coming
0: out. You know, I'm sure we'll
2: find out about more stuff, but like everything's getting delayed into next year.
0: Yeah, I think it always feels this way when we're especially coming up weeks before the E3 season of like, I don't know what's in the back half of this year. I don't think there's anything in the back half this year. Stuff will always come along, come along. This might be a weird year though where I do feel like the back half is going to be thinner maybe than the front half just assuming assuming there's going to be a ton of delays or people oh, will the, make a lot of announcements the best game of all time won't release in the second half of the year I'm going on a bold limb I'm going to claim that I just like the that every
3: year this happens. But this year it might be yeah, I don't probably, know. probably. I don't probably, know, man. You know? I mean,
4: I mean you- by that time in like November, we will have all been sort of spaced far enough from Elden Ring where we can restart it and be like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about a lot of this stuff." It right. feels like a new game again. I mean, they if they drop DLC
2: will probably come out like next year for Elden Ring, but it's like an Elden Ring DLC will just be a full game. And so then everyone will play that and be like, well, I guess that's the game of the year.
0: They could just release DLC, and the DLC is just called a completely different version of Elden Ring than you played. And it's just it reads what your character type was and how you beat Elden Ring, and then just locks you into the complete (laughs) opposite end of like, okay, now you're all magic, or now you're a dragon build. And everyone will be like, oh, this is the best DLC ever. Look, it's a whole different game.
4: And then mirror the world. Call it a deck. Exactly, exactly. Twilight Princess approach.
3: Uh, it, I I had another thought about the uh, on the delay front too, and I don't know maybe maybe I'm nuts. So you guys you guys tell me if this wouldn't make a difference to you. Yeah, but I feel like there's something especially like disappointing and maybe even a little embarrassing when a publisher, a publisher and developer have announced a specific date, <laughs> right? That's right. delayed. Like for some reason, it always it it hits a little harder when it's something like Starfield. November 11th, get ready. Yeah, take the day uh, off. You know, actually, never mind. Sorry, it's, it's delayed versus like, you know, something that's fall 2022 and then like, sorry, this is now early 2023. <laughs> and like, I, I shrug those off a lot easier. I think the lesson in my mind is never announce a specific date yeah. for, for your game until you are 100% sure it's going to hit that date and the game is basically done. I guess, right. like, yeah, I don't. I don't understand score.
4: why. That's when you announce the date,
2: right? Like, why does it ever happen? Why do they? You know, it's like they probably like printed posters with like nine twenty-one. What? Like, I I don't get it.
4: Well, um, maybe a little insight here. I mean, it has to do with um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like retailers. Like when I was at Game Mill, like, you know, I was always like, let's announce games closer to release. We're not in a rush here. But they're always like, well, we need to announce it, you know, six months ahead of time so that we can talk to Best Buy and GameStop and yada, yada, yada. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that is more of a factor than we sort of realize as consumers. And I'm talking and I am talking without any expertise. This is just me sort of like passive. Sort of.
3: I mean, um, you worked at a publisher. That stuff.
0: that seems that seems attainable yeah. enough. Well,
3: and there's there's also the fact. I mean, I speak with full acknowledgement that that is what I just said is not an actual possibility, and there are any number of other facets of the business right. Yeah. Through that. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. But I from from where I from where I sit as a consumer, it's like, I I don't need to know the specific date. Just tell me roughly when it's coming, and I'll look forward to it. And then when it's closer, let me know exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like kind of like when I say, hey, Kyle, you want to hang out on Saturday night? And you're like, yeah, sure. Saturday night's free. And I'm like, cool. We'll sort out the details later. I'll let you know that You know, we'll meet at the movie theater at 730. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. Like it happens all the time. Like you're saying this week he should go to the movie theater and, and expect when, you on when Saturday. When
2: Kyle bails before you've set the specific time, it hurts less than after you've
4: said, meet me at 730. Right.
3: Or right. he's going to show up at 6.30 and say, I thought I was supposed to be here at 6.30. And then he's going to go check the Slack messages and realize yeah. it was later. Yeah. I'm going to
4: send a bunch of direct messages on Slack and then stealthily delete them after I realize my mistake. So smart. no, you guys won't see them. <laughs> Maybe you'll see notifications on your phone and then be like, what happened to this? Super smart. Wait a
0: minute. <laughs> yeah, Starmid watching us live at the Backstage Pastor on Patreon. Uh, he said, I still remember the presentation for Final Fantasy 15 when its date changed. Correct. Remember the 15th thing? Because that was the big, like, roulette wheel, right? Where they locked it in and, what, did they dial it back and then go back on that day? I remember there was something weird with the roulette wheel and them going back on what seemed like the most definitive date announcement of all time.
3: That's right. They had that big event. This was, like, right around the time that our cover story hit, Ben. Okay. I think, it was where which was, like, they announced the release date with so with all this big fanfare, and it was... I don't know. I forget exactly what it was. It was supposed to be in September or something. And yeah, they had this big screen and they made a big ceremony out of like the date v- via like, yeah, rotating number wheel or whatever yeah. sort of lock locking into place of like, wow, September 21, you don't get any more definitive than that. And then like, you know, a few months later, they were like, that ah, it's uh pushing out a couple months. Ugh. uh david dubs asks uh hey crew uh starfield's
0: delay always felt inevitable but what are the clear signs that make you think a game will be delayed when it's announced if it's big oh and seems like a lot of details trailer.
4: if a pre-rendered trailer has like a date that's like that's not a date that you can put any sort of money behind that's interesting yeah yeah
3: that's it. i mean i feel like you don't see a lot of those anymore but that was exactly my answer too yeah
0: yeah, that's an interesting leap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
3: I always just look at history of the developer
0: Yeah. Um, and general size and scope and ambition, how many moving parts this game would have. But even stuff that you consider a simple game is obviously not simple and stuff always pops up. So it's, I don't know, just uh, here's an easy tip. Assume everything will be delayed all the time, and then be amazed when miracles happen, like you know, Xenoblade Chronicles two or sorry three, Joe. When Nintendo's like, actually, that's releasing a couple months earlier than you expected. It's like, what? <laughs> what is yeah. happening? Well,
3: in that in that case though, that doesn't surprise me so much. Um, I think we've talked about this a little before, but it was um, uh, a, a lot of times those localized games are a lot a lot more flexible. You know, Mm. that that basically that they've been the work of localizing them seems to be done further in advance, at least in my experience is like in getting reviewable builds from companies. Right. It's like the localized games tend to be done a little further in advance and they're just sort of waiting for the right time to roll them out. Right,
0: right. Yeah. You talked about that on the Persona 5 Royal bonus podcast.
3: Yeah, that's where it was. Exactly. Yeah,
0: yep. which uh, if, you, if you missed that, uh, we had a whole game championship where we let people vote on what game they wanted us to make content about, and Persona 5 won. And so Joe and Kelsey Lewin and Ana Diaz jumped on with the community member at the $50 tier who chose Persona 5 for a fun hour-long discussion just all about diving into the best parts of that game. So good job there, Joe. Hey,
3: thanks. It was fun.
0: Yeah, it's on our YouTube channel and on the bonus podcast feed if you're a patreon supporter if you want the podcast version of that um let's see uh oh oh just talking about um what this holiday season is going to look like and stuff uh adams on the spawn on me podcast uh, and also the recent co-host of trivia tower he was laying out a, a hypothetical which i think is looking really interesting and likely which is what if The inevitable happens. I'd imagine we're all in this camp and God of War Ragnarok is delayed into 2023. I think that's probably going to happen. And then, like, what is Sony going to lean on in the back half of this year? And are they going to be forced to lean on their partnership for the Harry Potter game? Which, I think that game does look good and they have the partnership for the promotion right now and there's going to be this weird spot of, like, oh, I know we get blasted by everybody, but we're kind of forced to promote this game harder than maybe we normally would because things are dropping out because of the weird COVID era we're in. I think that'd be a fascinating hypothetical.
2: Also, it's 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 really weird to think about God of War being delayed and then coming out in 2023 and supposedly running on a base PS4. Right. Like, just what a strange concept that is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I
3: mean, I'd have to imagine that's what's going to happen, but it is going to be weird. At the same time, though, I mean, in that case specifically, and not to get all you know uh, Sony pony about it or whatever. <laughs> there but we go. Like, like, in my mind, like God of War on the la- in the last generation was looked so good. Yeah, like, like, like just visually, I thought that game was so amazing that even if. The next one is not much of a visual, like not much of a visual upgrade. I still think it's, you know, I think it probably looks better than Saints Row. Oh, no, I mean, I
2: I agree. It's more just like it's just strange how long this kind of Venn diagram of consoles is being dragged out because they committed to this and then the games are delayed for like two years.
3: Yeah. You remember when God of War 2 came out on PS2? Yeah, and the I think about that all the time. was out already 2007, yeah.
0: right? Yeah. It is just bananas for sure. Um Mark Johnson writes in and says, "Oh, by the way, I mean, does anyone think that God of War is releasing this year?"
3: No. Okay. I I I doubt it. I still think there is an outside chance for it to have like a big presence at in June at some I point. I think so, right? yeah. Like, like I I still have trouble imagining a world that it doesn't, like, push out to 2023. But even so, I feel like everyone is especially certain of that now just because it's been sort of like radio silence from Sony Santa Monica. Well,
0: even even more than that, I mean, like, Cory Barlow came out at the – was it the five-year anniversary of God of War? And he made that little video just saying, hey – no updates for now, but we're working hard. Thank you for still playing the original God of War. And, like, there was no reconfirmation that it was coming in 2022. The fact that he was silent there is, yeah. is pretty telling. And people are are latching on to, God, It was somebody on the team. Was it an animator? There was somebody on the team who just on Twitter replied to somebody saying, Nope, we're still gunning for 2022. It's happening in 2022. And it, I know a lot of people are putting a lot of stock in that. But at the same time, like, Who knows? Who knows? who at that level of development knows what and maybe it's just the producers are looking at the big picture and saying no
3: effing way but who knows well, we don't know and and the language is interesting too because like like if it is something like we're still aiming for 2022 is different than 2022 is is still happening right you know right I,
0: I think so, i think it was more definitive i think it was saying like 2022 is right. the release date or something but yeah i, I don't know maybe we're all right. stupid for being so pessimistic about this Maybe we shouldn't have learned a lesson from every
3: other game released over the last couple of years. I don't know. I guess I I feel like I, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with preparing for the worst and hoping for the best, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. But uh, Mark Johnson writes in and says, hey, uh, when it comes to Starfield's delay, do you think if Bethesda was still their own studio, that game would have just been released as their past couple bug fests in order to make the release date? Yeah, do you think it's Microsoft that is adding any extra pressure to delay Starfield. Obviously, we have no idea. It, it, all we really know is Microsoft made the right call with Halo Infinite. Arguably didn't delay it long enough, right, for, like, campaign co-op and everything. Um, and so after that positive reception for Halo Infinite's launch, maybe they were more incentivized to say, hey, everybody, take your time.
2: Like like I said earlier, I think, I think Fallout 76 was so... I mean, I don't know how that game did financially for them. Maybe it's fine, but it's like... The the tide turned turned against Bethesda so quickly with Mm -hmm. that that it just seems like if they released another kind of broken game like that would just be it, you know, that they they kind of wouldn't win it back. And their next game after Starfield is probably going to be Elder Scrolls six. And so it's like they really need to kind of be in a good place. You know, it's like like if they can release Starfield well, that seems like it will kind of let everyone be hyped about Elder Scrolls again in a way that we wouldn't be able to otherwise.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, But you got to wonder, I mean, did they release Fallout 76 because of just financial pressure of like, hey, ZeniMax needs the financial income rolling in in this quarter, whereas Microsoft has a little bit more leeway of like, you know, if you don't have a big game this quarter... It's not bringing down Microsoft itself. So there's the the weird publisher pressures too that might factor in.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's only – that that's the only world in which Bethesda would have released it. Like if there was some sort of pressing financial need for it. Right. But but even then, I mean, like there's smart people making those – like making the decisions over there at Bethesda. I feel like whatever – that that there are lessons to be learned about how – the community receives very buggy games at launch and how much uh, goodwill you earn by taking the time to make it right. Yeah. And, and like you said before, how much damage that can do to a reputation for future stuff. Like that's a very real monetary value also. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, it's hard to say.
0: Uh, I don't know if you saw um, on a Resetera thread I forget which one it was exactly, but there was a developer who was, oh, forgive me for forgetting their role, if they were an artist or animator or what. But there was a developer who just left Bethesda. And so somebody on Resetera asked, like, hey, how's Starfield looking now that you're out of the out of the game? Um, and they're like, it's looking pretty good. And by the way, this this was later verified by a couple people. They're like, oh, this is actually a legit developer from Bethesda. Somebody just talking out of their butt. Um, but they're like the game's looking pretty good we're doing playtests every thursday we're having a good time with it it's big um there's flying in like spaceships and that's pretty janky other than that i think it's pretty fun <laughs> it's like, okay that feels about right looking forward to it uh right. let's see uh swiggity swoo writes in uh and asks do you miss angry kratos now, hear me out. Okay. Hear him out, hear him out, hear him out. Oh, oh, oh. Swiggity. has got thoughts. We all have thoughts. Uh, says, now hear me out. And I am role-playing as Uh We can all agree that the original God of War titles featured a Kratos who wasn't very relatable. We all know that in 2018, the reboot of God of War was a breath of fresh air and a bold new direction for the series, which paid off. But it's now been four years since that game came out. I think five, right? And I'm beginning to dread, no four, I'm sorry. Beginning to dread the idea of playing through uh, a game exactly one yard from the bald back of Mr. Kratos' head for 40 hours while he scolds his teenage son, solves pr- puzzles by throwing his axe, and using the same weapons and moves as the previous game. It just seems so tedious to me after playing Elden Ring and not loving The Last of Us Part 2 I'm not sure, or I'm sure, the story will be great, but part of me already knows where it's going. At least with angry Kratos, you never really knew what you're in for, and I genuinely believe he was a compelling, if not cartoonish, character. Am I the crazy one? No. You... I am I,
2: uh, 100% on board and I have felt like and this might be what Kyle is going to say, too, that it's like w- we've been kind of gaslit as a gaming community into believing that the old God of Wars were stupider than they were Interesting. That, that like when 2018 released, they were like. No one had even thought about video game stories back when the original (laughs) God of War trilogy happened, and now our Kratos, you know, can be sad. And it's like God of War, especially 2 and 3, were like really interesting and totally knew who Kratos was, and he was not posed as like a hero of that story. And like the place that God of War 3 ends is weird and fascinating and cool, and i thought the game was more fun so like yeah i i absolutely miss old kratos
4: yeah no I, I jacob i'm glad like i feel like we're a good crew to talk about this because like that is a thing right it's like a cliche ah oh, totally. kratos is mad but it's like the story of those games and the characterization of kratos is really well done and like he is angry and the thing that i think those games are really successful at is justifying his anger very well like i really sympathize with him and understand why he's so mad and i think it's like in line with what's happening in his life and what's happening in the story it's not full cartoon character
2: yeah i mean it's like you know those those games were you know absolutely uh sexist had a lot of problems like i don't want to defend every part of them but like yeah they they knew they thought about the story you know it's like he was a considered character um, and, and I think fit in well with like Greek myth and the kind of tropes of those characters and stuff. Uh, yeah. So the, the just kind of like, well, the last of us is when video game storytelling was invented. And so <laughs> that's, you know, what we did with the new God of War has always kind of irked me. Uh,
3: yeah. Yeah. I, I think those, those are good points, but I don't know. For here me, we go. it's like, I'll keep it short.
0: No, no, no. this is
3: somebody who gave God of War 3 of 10, so just for perspective here. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I I love those games. I think that there's something in the question about, like, do you miss... The question isn't, like, are there problems with current Kratos? Right, right, right. It's like, do you miss angry Kratos, right? And, and for me, having, like, played and reviewed all of those games uh, back in the GI days, like, there is... Like, I... <laughs> There is a definite sense of just lack of surprise, right? The the the, the fact that you always know how Kratos is going to respond in, in a situation, to me, actually like undercuts some of the epic stuff that they're doing. Uh, like some of some of the story moments that they're trying to go for, all of that, when you just know that Kratos is going to like shout and irrationally attack. Anyone who's, like, in front of him. To me, it just got, like, by the end of, what, Ascension, I guess. Right. It was it just, like, felt so old. It felt, it felt good in the first God of War. But then there's also the fact that those, those four games, like the, the three God of Wars and Ascension, take place over a span of time that, like, really really roots god of war in an era right really roots that like character that storytelling that attitude in a like 2004 to 2013 time frame in a way that i think is hard to like you just can't go back to that anymore right so i guess like when i talk about the concept of like missing it and wanting to go or like theoretically wanting to return to that in some way yeah uh, that's that's where I get hung up on that question, and I have to say, like, no, no, I don't miss that. I wouldn't want to go back to it. Did I love those games? Yeah, I did. But I think I'm more energized by the current iteration of God of War and the uh, and the like expansive possibility in front of it. The fact that you don't always know what's what's going to happen in a situation. The character of Kratos is like, uh, is not only not only less predictable, but like is just different than he used to be now. And I think that that's, uh, there, I don't know, there's something about that that was compelling for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a huge jump just in the level of surprises and discovery going into this new era of God of War. And especially the way it wraps up, it's like, okay, did not see this stuff coming, unfolding this way. This is so fantastic. I do think that the new one, Bold prediction here. I think it's going to get dinged hard for being pretty similar to the old one. And especially, I think one of the thrilling things about God of War from 2018 was just how kind of reserved it was with the Pantheon in Scandinavian mythology. I love just feeling like this mystery in the sense of the world. Like, I don't know how many gods I'm going to encounter. I love that it's a pretty minimal amount. And the fact that, okay, now we know there's one war game. In Norse mythology, it's called Ragnarok. I'm guessing it's going to show you all the gods and they'll all die the end. And then we'll move on. Um, So I'm looking forward to being surprised. I just don't think there's any way I can be nearly as surprised by this new entry as I was by the last one.
2: Uh, It's just it's fascinating for me to hear you say that. And I appreciate I think the, the point about kind of not wanting to go backwards is a good one. I just feel like, you know we can differentiate between, like, plot and character arcs. It's like, I knew what Kratos' character arc was going to be in God of War 2018 from before the game started. I felt like he was the most predictable character I had ever played. And so it's like, that was kind of... I lost fun in that because it was like, oh, he's going to be mean to his son at the beginning and then like nice to him at the end. Like I didn't that doesn't work for me. And maybe it's because I don't have children and so I can't be mean to them and then grow to like them. But like I really found that boring. And I think that's kind of where me missing angry Kratos comes from is I've just seen that plot arc in other triple a video games a million times i hear so you
4: yeah you you don't like seeing people grow and becoming better people
2: you're <laughs> i would like no. them to grow in any direction other than the parents one exactly
4: to be in front of children <laughs> <laughs> that's that's better yeah. for
0: you. no okay. i get it it was not the compelling part of the game to me it was to think of like oh he's holding his hand above atreus's back but someday he'll pat him on the back like that that's the least compelling part of that game to me honestly
3: yeah. But I think there's also, there's something interesting is like it it in, in isolation, I think that arc for Kratos is, uh, less interesting, but the fact that players have played like you've played all those games with that anger, right? You are bringing, you are bringing that knowledge. You are bringing that baggage with you into the game. Like he is, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that necessarily like is transformative, But I think that's part of what made people connect with it so much more than than it just being another story about a mean dad turns nice. Is that like you were there for the mean days? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, you know what he is. And as a player, then you get a much like you get a much more you get a much deeper sense of the restraint and and the sort of defeat. Because you have that that comparison point, you know, that's
0: that's a
2: great point.
3: Yeah. 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 Uh, so, kind
0: of, is the answer, swiggity-swoop. Uh, Jared B. writes in, with the recent leaks regarding Silent Hill, how does everybody feel about gaming leaks? I've noticed for myself, I've gotten to the point of not liking them as it seems to build unrealistic expectations of what a game could be versus what it might actually be. Um, so, yeah, full full heads up, everybody. You know, if you want to go in completely blind to E3, quote-unquote E3, stop listening for the next couple minutes here. Um, but the idea is there seems to be very strong leaks now from multiple sources and other people confirming those sources that apparently bloober team our dear friends over there who of course made the blair witch game and the medium and everybody's other favorites, um, that they are remaking silent hill too. Um, and then that Anna Purna's is making an episodic series about silent hill. And there's also a new silent hill game in development. So it seems like Konami, um, they had the option of, you know, s or getting off the pot, and they got off the pot and then sprinted and launched three projects at once, so it seems like this might be the E3 of Silent Hill. So congratulations we have to, s- we, have
3: to we have to S after all. Get out of the way. <laughs> right, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so it, uh,
0: it's exciting to see that. Obviously, um, it'd be fun to have that revealed. Um, but how's everybody else feeling about leaks? It always happens.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't... I had, I put so little. I like you're you're saying this like it's all like we will see this in a three. Yeah, it's done deal. Like I don't take it that way at all. I mean I think it's interesting. I think that sounds like a cool direction for Silent Hill. I like the idea of the original being or two being remade. Yeah, uh, I like the idea of a new standalone one. I don't know if... I, I, the sort of episodic one is the one, maybe the one I'm least interested in. But like I don't know. I I guess if you gave me the choice, it's like you want some like details now that are hard to confirm or would you rather have the sort of legitimate factual 100% surprise? I guess I'd rather have the surprise just because like I don't want my expectations to be sort of you know be out of whack ahead of e
2: three. Yeah what what I've noticed in the past uh, few years is the proliferation of um, Twitter accounts who aren't anybody who just seemingly can say like multiple sources confirming this and there was like there was a time uh, a couple months ago when there were multiple sources confirming that Rockstar was working on Bully 2 and they were going to show it off and it was like I knew who the sources they said were confirming that were and they were not confirming it you know that it was just it's just kind of like people can make shit up and and because I, I think you know there's a kind of ongoing like individualization of People versus outlets saying things and whatever. It's like you just have these personalities on Twitter where like all they do is tweet things that they've kind of read on threads, and sometimes they're right, and so they gain legitimacy. Um, but I, it's it's very annoying to just kind of have these like multiple sources confirming. A whole bunch of times, and
0: most times they just don't turn into anything. Are you saying Star Fox Grand Prix isn't going to be revealed at
1: E3 this year? Oh no, that one's real.
0: And okay, I the source on okay. That.
1: good, 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 cool, cool, cool. Looking forward to it.
3: <laughs> See, my feelings on this are so complicated because, like, with with any, like, let's say an announcement of a big game, you've got so many different competing interests going on here, right? Like, I I was on the games media side of this, and I understand the desire to want to keep up with the big news stories, right? So suddenly there's a news story making the rounds about, Hey, big silent Hill two announcement possible. It's like, well, it's already out there. People are going to see it. Is that something that you as an outlet, like want to miss out on like potential engagement on? Because you're not really spoiling it for the community at large. Cause if the news is already out there, right? you, So then you can make the argument that like, look, we should just hold this. We should just hold off on any on any leak reporting and let all of these announcements happen naturally. And then to that, there's an argument saying like, look, then you're just in the then you're just playing into the publisher's hands. Right. The publishers don't have a right necessarily to control the message around a game. It's not all about like them uh maximizing their spin and having maximum impact on social media and stuff when this announcement happens exactly the way they want to that's why there is games journalism and reporters out there breaking that news and i understand that aspect also but the point that i always end up like personally coming back to and you know as people who have interviewed developers and the people making these games, I think you guys will understand also is that like ultimately for me, it comes down to thinking about the people who are making the games themselves and the fact that they put all of these years of effort into like a project that is secret, that they can't talk about, that they ultimately just want to reveal in the way that feels most natural to them. Right. And maybe that's an maybe that's a starry eyed view of it. And maybe right. that vision of theirs is too controlled by the publishers to be authentic or whatever. But I've just seen like too many people work too hard on games to have like kind of jackass reporting, spoil it before a big reveal at, you know, at E3 or whatever. And and it's hard to not wish that that could have happened differently for them. You right.
0: Know? Right. Uh, You're talking about the press sneak f***s out there, I believe. That whole saga from the (laughs) development of Prey. Yeah. Uh, Remember the weird spot we'd be in all the time at Game Informer where we'd have a cover story coming up and then uh, the game would leak ahead of time and it was always just this weird thing. Look, like, okay, hopefully people don't notice that this is the one thing we're not reporting on in terms of leaks. (laughs) Like, why aren't they talking about the fact that that Banner revealing the location and setting of Assassin's Creed 3 is all over the internet? It's like... "Mm -hmm." Because it was a Game Informer banner, and we feel terrible about it. I didn't see that. Yeah, weird. weird. It was on our website, but somehow we didn't catch that one. That's crazy. That's crazy. Assassin's Creed 3, interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. In this one, I uh, I like Jason Schreier's approach to it, which, you know, who knows how much he's always following exactly his own mantra for it, but he's, he's communicated that he will... Reveal a game exists if it's important to have context for players and consumers in general. Like, the the one that he used as an example is, like, Fallout 76, right? The fact that Bethesda was announcing that and making it seem very much like, this is a new Fallout game! It's like a new single-player Fallout game, everybody! Hope you're hyped for Fallout! And now the situation where you'd be like, hey... This is done by a different studio, largely, and it's also a multiplayer-focused thing, and it seems like not exactly what maybe hardcore Fallout fans would expect or want, and I think that is doing a service for people at large. Now, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers, but... This is Jeff Grubb, fella! Uh, I, I like Jeff Grubb, personally, from the bits I've interacted with him, but sometimes I get bummed out, because he seems to be just, like, throwing out every game he hears about, and I, I get it, I understand, you don't want to be too much in the publisher pocket and all that stuff, but... I am kind of bummed when it's just here. We heard that this game's in development. We heard this game's in development. I, I like having those stupid Christmas morning moments, but you know what? Yeah. That's, that's naive probably.
3: Yeah. And, and I like those two. I, I think about the idea of like, let's say that there's an artist like making a painting. Just wouldn't you rather wait until the painting's done rather <laughs> right. than, rather than sneaking a peek before it's like, Ooh, I wonder if he's making a Viking. Hmm. It looks a bit. Yeah. Maybe that's a Viking.
2: Right right just, i agree just, there should be no video game trailers you yeah. should just <laughs> receive the box and play it and be
1: surprised
4: just is it too and much I, to ask just mail it to us if we're gonna like it come on publishers <laughs> yeah i i think about that idea sometimes jacob of just like like in movies and everything of just like what if what if the next christopher nolan movie was just called christopher nolan's new movie yes and i just went to the theater and that's hope for the best <laughs> You know, or like, or like the next rock, like, I feel like Rockstar could get away with it where they're just like, hey, our new game's coming out tomorrow. Totally. It's the new Rockstar game. I would love that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Going completely cold. Like, I remember talking about it with uh, Avengers Infinity War
0: and Endgame. Like, they don't need to market that. You have everybody. Like, how amazing would it be if every trailer for that was just the logo and like, or clips from previous films, then the text, it all builds to this. Like, you did not need to reveal a single bit of that. Especially no. with Endgame, like, you gotta left that all in the dark. Every, especially Endgame, because it's like part two. Like, everyone's coming back, you idiots. Just shut up. You don't need to tell us a single thing about this movie, please. <laughs> okay, but here's a hypothetical, Kyle. How about this? How hmm. about, um, let's see. My parents have like a spooky cabin out in the woods that they built on their property. Um, how about you go live in that cabin for like five years? And I'll just, whenever there's a game that I think you'll like, I'll just bring it there and drop it off at the door. And then you can basically have that experience.
4: I like the idea of me just sitting there, like, twiddling my thumbs, like, oh, I hope Ben brings me something today. <laughs> I'm bored. I would Ooh. love something. Yeah, anything.
0: Like, oh, no, no, it's a woodpecker again. Okay. Well, keep waiting.
2: <laughs> ben is at home, like, well, I don't think you would, like, tunic that much. Right, no, I won't right. bring him that
0: <laughs> And then the ultimate Twilight Zone twist is you realize,
4: there's no electricity in this cabin! No! <laughs> I'm just the disc on my finger trying to look at it. There's <laughs> Seems a game on here. Immersive! Uh, let's see. Victor Pham.
0: Oh, what a related question. Thanks for listening, Victor. Asks, are gamers too immature to handle seeing early looks at games? For example, the Dead Space Remake team has been extremely transparent about their process and uh, we still get plenty of complaints about the graphics and the sound design. I guess I haven't dove into like YouTube or I don't know where those are coming from exactly for the Dead Space Remake stuff. I know they've tweaked some things based on the feedback. So I I love that EA is being as open as they are with that game. It's very unlike them, um, and I think it's really cool. And so my fingers crossed that gamers are handling it well. But I haven't dove in enough to see if
4: they're if the developers are pulling their hair out based on this approach they've taken so far. Yeah, I mean, with early access, I'd optimistically I'd like to say that we are. I guess I should lump myself in that yeah. <laughs> crew of people. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough to say because I I feel like once the once a game is out, those you know those sort of complaints like wash away. But
3: well, are they... I
2: don't know. I'm thinking about like this is kind of an old example, but it's like you know for for years people were mad about Watch Dogs, like the you know the E3 demo versus the thing, and right, like right. I feel like again it's maybe because E3 hasn't been as much of a thing. This there haven't been stories, but it's like for a while. People would kind of be like, "Oh, typical, you know, Ubisoft demo versus game," and like, you know, it was it was always with the spin of they are actively trying to mislead the consumer. Not games change during development, and like, yeah. you know, it, it's it's hard to know. You you don't know if if they knew that that was never going to be a working version of the game. But I do think it. I think probably people play a little closer to the chest. With with the exception of that dead space thing, which is cool, because like it is a thing that gamers get mad about if a game has worse graphics than the trailer. You know, like people will still uh, be upset about that, and it's uh, annoying because I would like to see early versions of games.
4: I guess yeah. your your example, your Watchdogs example, though, which is like fair, is like those were presented as like this is what the game will be. Right. Like I think I think you need that sort of disclaimer. And yep. it can't just be text you know, a little tiny text on the bottom of the screen. You want you like know? full
0: watermark early development footage. Or just
4: in, I mean, the just the dead space approach that we're sort of complimenting here of like just being very clear like this is early development. Like have someone literally come in and say it. Where at an E three trailer, like Watch Dogs, for example, that the way they that, that was presented was like this is the final game. This is
0: next gen baby. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
2: Well, I also, I think it's interesting because with Dead Space, the criticisms that people have is like, this doesn't look good enough. Whereas Watch Dogs, it was like, this looks too good. And then your <laughs> your final game didn't look good enough. So it is, yeah, there there's kind of a discrepancy there.
3: Yeah, I think it's it ultimately boils down not necessarily to, you know, the question was, are gamers too immature for this? Right? Yeah. And I don't know that it's a question of maturity as much as it is just one of like clear messaging and finding the right way to to present in development games and also not clearly misleading people into thinking that something is a you know representative of of a final product
0: yeah totally uh otsego 12 Hey, do you have any music that always makes you think of a game or vice versa for me it's bob's psychedelic thoughts album and fallout 4's nuka world dlc I'll always have the thought of looking out over the Nuka Cola factory and the Quantum Queen popping out to the song Violet Vibrato. That was going to be all of our answers, actually. Let's see, go. That's really funny. Um, how about you all? What stands out for music and game connections here?
3: Okay, so I, not necessarily music from a game, right. but just music that was playing while you were playing a game. Yes,
2: yes. Hmm. Um, the game Minecraft and everything that was on the Pandora station for the Killers uh, in, like, 2011. <laughs> like that's, yeah. That's what I would come home from high school, and I would play Minecraft and listen to the Killers Pandora station. And so, like, all of those songs, which are now played as, like, easy listening in
4: restaurants, like that era of music, uh, those are, that's my connection. That's perfect. Killers and creepers. I, I have some weird ones, because, like, the, the Xbox and the 360 had where you could upload, like, albums from yeah. CDs and then just, like, pipe that into the game. And I listened to Radiohead's Hail to the Thief pretty much exclusively while playing Crackdown, uh, which is so strange that those, <laughs> like, connected my head. Like, the opening sounds of uh, Hail to the Thief reminds me of driving out of the garage in Crackdown because you did that, yeah, like, yeah, every yeah. time you started. And then the other weird one is um, I was I was, like... Just listening to uh, Arcade Fire's um, "The Suburbs" like constantly while I was playing Dead Space Two, <laughs> just like all the time. And there's a and, and the Dead Space Two takes. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, but it's called the Sprawl, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a song on that album. There's two songs actually, Sprawl and Sprawl Two. Of course. Which are just like just a coincidence, but yeah. So now I connect that album, which I love, to Dead Space Two, which I also love. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's so funny It's so funny how many things get locked in. Like, for me, it's um, it's SSX3. And I remember I got a new sound system at the time. So it was a cool thing where I could put a disc in, a CD, and play the CD, and then mix it with another channel so I could mix it with the game audio. So I played SSX3 to Modest Mouse's Good News for People Who Love Bad News. <laughs> and so, like, that opening horn, the... Like, it's just forever locked in for, like, well, this is the
3: soundtrack of SSX3, of course. Yeah. For me, it was... Uh, so... Uh Kyle mentioned the like uploading like on the original Xbox too. You could also like uh have have a different soundtrack playing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what I remember is like me and Matt Miller and some other college buddies of ours, uh <laughs> we we won we checked out uh Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball. You perverts. Here we and go. And in order to make the experience as ridiculous as possible, we uploaded a few songs or like had a few songs going on a playlist. And the only one I remember is uh, Queen's Fat Bottom Girls. Of course. <laughs> So now every time I hear, but like we only had a few songs uploaded for or like like set up for it, right? So it's like when we were playing dinner, live beach volleyball for that afternoon, we probably heard that song like twenty times as it went through the rotation. Just just so guys when, whenever, being dudes. Whenever I hear "Fat Bottom Girls," you know, which is several times a day, day <laughs> uh, I think of I think of that that experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, Greg Spencer, watching us live at the Backstage Pass, says, "I was listening." to Tenacious D's first album on repeat while playing Eco on PlayStation 2. <laughs> we'll peek out our heads. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that game is kind of about tearing down City Hall, so I guess that makes sense.
4: There you see Itagaki, speaking of Dead or Alive, he's on Twitter now as of oh, like yeah, yeah. a few days ago? That's interesting. I don't know what he's going to talk about. I don't know what he's been doing. Thanks for the Itagaki, Itagaki just... report.
3: Yeah, what's he, what's he doing? I was just talking to someone the oh. other day that's like, what happened to that guy?
0: Devil's Fork. on interested. Twitter. Uh, I look forward to seeing his hot tweets. Um, <laughs> oh, the other one. This I feel like we get this question all the time, but I'm still... It turns out you can talk about this stuff all day, but you'll, you'll like this, Joe. This is a very specific time and a place, but playing uh, Final Fantasy VI, it's forever locked in with... Uh, it was right when I was getting into Pink Floyd... <laughs> And so playing that on my computer through an emulator and listening to disc two of the wall, I only had disc two for some reason burned, and so that is just forever locked in. And thematically, it works. It works. Not dark side yeah. of the moon, huh? All right. Not interested. Uh, beefcake. <laughs> the I saved that for the Wizard of Oz game on the DS, which of course is the natural <laughs> pairing. Yeah. Uh, did it match up? Did it? Did it? It's did it uncanny. <laughs> Uh, beefcake disc disc 2 specifically that's Absolutely. how it's supposed to go yeah yeah uh, beefcake writes in and says it's the zombie apocalypse yay so you've all made your home in an abandoned mall each person gets to claim a store as their apartment what do you choose and why hmm is it implied they all have the metal gate that we can close I assume every store does have that right it must
3: well oh, hold on is this is this just to survive the zombie apocalypse or is this more about emphasis on the I want to make a store my apartment. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, if you're if you
0: have your pick of the litter in a zombie apocalypse, would you not choose the one you also want to make your apartment?
3: I don't know. I feel like if it were zombie apocalypse related, I'd probably be more into like a like a camp- weapon store, yeah, yeah. Sporting goods, right? Yeah. Yes, sporting goods. We, we, we all play camp- Dead Rising. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to go there and, and have a bunch of axes and tents and whatever on hand. But if it's just like, hey, you can live in any store you want, then it's like going to go to Mr. Bulky and eat a bunch of gummy colas. or whatever. Yeah,
2: or like Mr. like the, the mattress store, like a furniture place. Ooh, that's, oh, good. that's I, a good one. I thumbs up this question because specifically uh, in, in North Carolina, where Epic is, you know, headquartered. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they bought a mall. Epic, like Epic Games, bought an abandoned mall, or like not abandoned, but it's like most malls was kind of going defunct, and I don't think they've fully retrofit it yet. But like they are going to do it, and I have heard that they have plans to keep it like the Foot Locker conference room. Like they're they're going to kind of like continue calling the rooms the things that they were before they bought I it, love that. which I think is very funny.
4: God no. So, so wait, wait, they're gonna make it like offices.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're making it into uh, like an office-based headquarters, whatever. Uh, but it's just like, well, here's a giant building, so and and no one wants to be in it, so now we will. That's what funny. if they
4: like kept all the store like the shapes, right? So like every person at an office was like if you had to go visit someone in an office, it would be this colossal walk because everyone's office is just like the size of a mall store. Yeah. I'm so sick of having an Orange Julius every day for lunch, but I guess we
0: had (laughs) to keep it intact. All right. Here we go. Uh, It does sound good. Yeah. It reminds me of like a Bungie is in an old movie theater over there uh, in Bellevue, Washington. It's always a weird layout.
4: Yeah. And they kept one screen functional basically, right? Like they...
0: I guess so. Yeah, I'm curious to see if anybody. I, can... went, I
4: mean, I went there once, and that like they had like one room that was still a theater, and then the rest kind of feels like a traditional, modern, contemporary video game. Well,
0: think, there definitely is a theater screening room in Bungie, but I don't know if that's still like the intact version of the old movie theater version. Oh, uh, that's, like, that's, yeah, I'm I see what still you're yeah, confused yeah, yeah. about. It. Let us know, Bungie employees, please. Um, My name is Dan. Writes in and says, "Hello, everyone. Why are some people in the gaming industry slash audience always so concerned about how long a game stays relevant for?" All too often, I hear comments like the following. Yeah, it seems like that game just came and went, reviewed pretty well, but nobody's talking about it anymore. Why does that matter? Um, I think that's a very fair question. I, I do it all the time. Um, I guess the answer is we're, we're trying our best just to gauge where the industry's at, and if people are constantly talking about a game, it feels like, oh, that game had a big impact and might influence design moving forward in a bigger way. Um,
2: so, yeah, I you know, because games are iterative, and so, like, you know, if, if I... If I love Outer Wilds, I want people to keep talking about Outer Wilds because the the idea would be, like, then more people will take those design principles mm-hmm. to heart. They will make more like it. You know, maybe that's kind of uh, an illusion that that what what we as kind of games talkers talk about doesn't really affect, like, what game developers decide to do. But, like, that certainly feels like the kind of like that game did a cool thing. Keep reminding people. It did a cool thing. So then other games will hopefully do that too.
3: Yeah. I think that's it. I don't think it necessarily, like whether or not people are talking about it doesn't necessarily mean anything about the game's, you know, uh, uh, quality, but I think it is a symptom of a game's success in a broader sense. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think like, like, successful in terms of how many people it's reaching, probably how much money, how much money it's making and the influence that it's going to have on the things that come after it, you know? So those are the things that <laughs> like that doesn't, that shouldn't take anything away from a game that came out and you played and loved and, you know, silence followed. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. Anyway,
0: Chris Logan's getting to the heart of it. Uh, Chris asks, uh, hello, Ben and the Horts writing from Texas and man, it's a hot one. Chill out and relax, Chris. Um, I don't know. That's all I got for it. Um, Which brings me to my question. What are your thoughts on the Grammy Award winning song Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20? (laughs) I know this has become the new. It's now the cool thing to make fun of Smooth as of like seven years ago. Uh, What's everyone's take
3: on this hot jam? Wait, hold on. Before we get into this, yeah. is this like an internet trend or a TikTok thing or something that, like, like that one time that someone asked, like, asked you to say a word a funny way? because oh, right. People were to, um, you know, I don't Sheesh. think so.
0: Yeah, 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 right, yeah. Right, right,
3: right. No, I think this is just. I feel like what over the last
0: ten years, I feel like it's become the new. It's it's in the Shrek arena of just like overdone, and now it's become ironically funny to talk about "Smooth" by Santana featuring Rob Thomas.
4: Well, if it's like Shrek, then we'll loop back around and sort of recognize it as a as masterpiece,
0: a classic, a masterpiece. Right. Any here, day now. Right? Here's my take. I, I like that song. I've always liked that song. I don't have any
2: problem with that like, song. I um, like how many how many views without looking do you think it has on
0: YouTube for the official music video?
4: Ooh, yeah. this is a good question.
0: I'm gonna go um, with
4: 185 million. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go low. I'm gonna go like two million because that song was popular before the YouTube era.
0: Mm.
4: i have no guess yes. 280
0: million views wow. wow there it is everybody Here, here's the thing i gotta beef with songs that are stupid and simple if the you know beat is just like some electronic drum going like tuk, 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 tuk. you know just some simple mindless crap or at least this like hey santana can play the guitar like there's cool guitar work in that song it's dynamic you know how sick of it can you get Also, I'm an idiot when it comes to music, but
3: I'm going to the mat over this one, everybody. (laughs) Like, this is, that's one of those songs for me that is just so evocative of a specific time and place. Because, like, I remember being, like, listening to the radio in my college dorm room and having that song play twice every hour, probably, as I was, like, playing games or doing homework or whatever. And you're like, turn that down. I'm trying to listen to Fat Bottom Girls here on my Xbox. (laughs) Uh, so, like, like I, but to add to add my voice to the chorus, uh, I haven't heard that song in a while, but I always liked it. There it is. Look, yeah. a couple of simple dudes here.
4: Uh, this is a, you're gonna pull this out for YouTube, right?
3: So- <laughs> oh yeah,
4: we're
0: gonna get to <laughs> 280 million views. Mid-Max for this is clip. gonna
4: be the sort of the number one source for Matchbox 20 Santana mashups, right.
0: and then we'll call it yeah on YouTube uh, parentheses official music video. <laughs> Uh, by the way i don't know how copyright works if anyone wants to do that with this video you have my complete permission to clip this and upload this and call it the official music video i won't take you down i swear uh ramses garcia asked a similar question um seven nation army we will rock you and we are champions are standard in sports arenas these days what video game song can officially join their ranks for standards in sports arenas, uh, Ben, can I drop something in the the chat for you to play? Yes, you can. Um, let's uh, see, Discord. Okay. slack. okay, here we go. Yeah,
2: I was I was so excited to get this question because I am secretly <laughs> obsessed with this song from the uh, Pokken <laughs> Tournament, Poken Tournament like game, which was the fighting yeah. you know, Wii U Pokemon I, game. Oh hell yeah! Uh, the song is called Magikarp Festival, and it is no joke. Like. One of the hardest songs I have ever
0: heard. All right, well, we'll have to start, take your word for it. Start playing it
2: at like the 15 second mark.
0: We're running out of time, Jacob Keller. We have to move on to the next question. No, I'm just messing with you. Okay,
2: uh, which, where do I start it? Like 15 seconds in.
0: Okay. It sounds like Magikarp!
4: Like a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it continues to go off the rails and it's like Magikarp, but that is who the song is. I love
0: it. The top comment is, this track would play at a nightclub and no one would realize they were dancing for Magikarp.
4: <laughs> 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 this is absurd. That's, That's good. like three drops. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! There's a there's another one. You, there's another okay. one. No, you oh, don't. God. You don't have to keep playing it. It's just, Six like, minutes um, better It just kind of. I was I was going to say just like standard Game Boy like Pokemon combat music, honestly, or like the Chrono Trigger combat music, like good RPG mm. combat music. You know,
0: I'm going with. I think you need something like you need the boom boom clap of We Will Rock You. You need like the communal part of it, right? And so. Uh, I think you got to go main, uh, the main theme, the title theme for arms, which everybody, of course, remembers. But you could imagine this in a soccer match. It's designed for it. Here we go.
4: Everyone would like it. Also, uh, I mean, on that, that, team, that even no, the uh, Nintendo games have fantastic soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, like
0: the Punch-Out theme is oh, so good. Yeah, that would do well there. Yep, yep, yep. Or like the Pokemon it, Sword and Shield, that battle theme, Kyle, if you remember the soccer arenas, it also has kind of a
3: communal soccer vibe to it. I don't know that this song itself would be great, but I think if you were to get a professional choreographer to, like, develop an arena-style dance... That everyone would learn over time to go along with it. The Tetris theme A yeah. would rile that place up. Everyone knows that song. That
0: is true. People would It'd sing along
3: with it. And if there were like moves you could do as a group, like, you know, synchronized wave style or something, mm, it would be good. Well, you know, I think that would be to good.
4: Like do the shapes, right? Like you'd have to be the T and the line. Hey, look,
3: I'm not I'm no you're the choreographer, Kyle. Kyle oh, Not I am. me. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I I like that idea. Also, there's this uh, old Genesis song that
0: I think would work really well.
4: That <laughs> took us
1: all minute, I think. It took me a second.
3: I was like, what tonic <laughs> contract is this? <laughs> is this? <laughs>
0: it's, it's sad that I knew that something like that would exist on YouTube, but it didn't let me down. Thank you. Um, Christian Jimenez writes in, Hey, informers of games. not familiar with that concept. Um, how do you feel about leaderboards? Last time Jacob was on, he mentioned he wanted to crack the top 100 in Returnal. That was my goal, too, and he was able to do it. Uh, so it felt great and like I can put it away forever uh, until I like get another itch for a run. But thoughts on leaderboards. To be clear, I wanted to crack the
2: top one thousand, and I did. Nice. Uh, top one hundred is a, a those okay. those runs get to be like ten hours long for the the top people. Um, I like it when I have other friends who are doing it. When you can compare yeah. like local leaderboards, totally. I feel like uh, like. They always just feel hacked like when when there are games that have like global leaderboards. I look at the top and I'm just like, that's impossible. Like I either either they're so astronomically better than me that I can't even conceive of it or they just like hack.
4: Well, I remember like uh, Trials HD had where you could watch people's replays on the leaderboard. And I remember being like, oh, I bet this is like cool. I bet I can see some really high level trials gameplay. But like the first five were just always like some crazy glitch happened and like this just it doesn't look like anything and all of a sudden the score just like spikes. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here? But go. I do I've never been compelled to like try to work up a leaderboard other than like what you're saying, Jacob, like personal, like your friends have, have scores and you want to beat those. But I do like if I have like a good score, like a score that I'm proud of in a game or something, I do like to see like oh where where am I generally ranked? And it's always like the lower, you know, or whatever, but it's like it's nice to have like a metric of like, okay I'm not anywhere (laughs) close to being uh, good at this.
3: The only leaderboard I've ever cared about is how popular my pawn was in the Switch version of Dragon's Dogma. (laughs) Oh my god Uh, and other than that, which I did get up to number 8. Wow At at one point. Wait, Uh, 8 what are you talking, in the world? Yeah, on the Switch version specifically. That's that's cool well, it's kind of cool. Oh. I mean, it is it is cool. Objectively but it, cool. But the reason it happened is because I had the game pre-release. So oh. So I was able to like and I know the game pretty well, so I was able to like finish it and get a pretty good high level pawn. So when it hit like it I when it You're hit right. I was I was one of the few good options available, I, right, I, I, right I had a head start, yeah, gotcha. otherwise yeah i'm 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 with with Kyle and, and Jacob. like if I can compare to friends, I really like that. I like when it, even even not necessarily a discrete leaderboard, but like when I'm in a game and I like finish a race in a certain time, and it's like, Jeff Cork finished it in this time. Do you want it? And it's like, oh, maybe I should try and beat Jeff Cork on this, please do. And then invariably um, you, you tell Jeff Cork that you beat his time on something. He's like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Who cares? <laughs> but or more he gets
4: way too competitive about it. <laughs> those are the two. That's right. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I really like when roguelikes have dailies where it's like a seated run where everyone has the same thing and you can all do it together. Those are the ones like play the Spire, the binding of Isaac and Returnal have all had those. And because the score resets every day, it's, less competitive and so i will often do those and be like oh i'm in like the top you know 200 today maybe there are only 700 people doing it but like that still feels cool
0: yeah yeah white max writes in and says hey bachelor ben and the rest sure uh can you tell me what the difference is between a teaser a trailer and a special look because pixar released one of each for light year and i cannot tell what the difference is to warrant these names am i missing something it's all blurring in a big way. Lightyear, a movie with crystal clear oh, Hold on,
4: I'm not watching Lightyear trailers. Well, I know, so I know. No we're point. not going to reveal anything about the story of Lightyear okay, just, here. Just wanted to make sure. I think,
0: I think it's a smart move. I'm going to slide it to you uh, when you're in the cabin. You'll really enjoy it. Um, nice. I think I think teaser trailer, I think the problem is that's expanding more and more. Originally it was, especially in the film industry, like teaser was a teaser. Maybe a logo, maybe some, an environment shot saying, I don't know aliens are going to come back <laughs> or whatever, right? Like the teaser trailer for Jurassic Park, I think it's just like showing the amber that type of thing. But now, like teaser trailers, it's a two and a half minute long clip. And especially with Marvel, you feel like, oh, I, I know the entire plot of this movie based on no, the teaser. That's that's a trailer.
3: That's a tra- I feel like a teaser for whatever the content needs to be like 30 seconds or less. I
0: agree. But I'm saying, especially Marvel has been blurring those lines in a big way. You look at like the latest Marvel teasers
3: and they are two and a half minute long trailers. Maybe the logic comes from like because, yeah, like, teasers are almost, like, almost always contain exclusively footage from an upcoming trailer, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I mean, like, the
2: White Year teaser is a minute and a half long and just shows a bunch of footage
3: of the movie. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I, that's, that makes no sense to me. Well, yeah, yeah you're antiquated, the word, Joe. When they
4: use the word, like, Thor, right, uh, Love yeah. and Thunder, that's, like, a teaser – and I think it implies that a longer, what Joe is saying, like there will be a longer version of that trailer that will mostly have footage look, from the
0: teaser. you guys system. are correct as of 10 years ago. I'm saying it's completely changed. And teaser is just code for trailer one. And then trailer is right. code for yeah. trailer two. And special look, which I'm not as familiar with, but it is just another trailer for I mean, light wh- years. So. Wh- words have no meaning. What do you want from us? You're okay, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> You're right.
4: We're trying to define it here. Um, it here's,
3: here's what it should be. Yeah. There you go. Teaser. Teaser should be 30 seconds or less. Right. Agreed. Trailer as as long as 2 minutes, all of those sort of not necessarily quick cuts but you know like heavily edited. Yep. Special look should be maybe a more extended view of fewer scenes. With interviews with the director scattered. Yeah, in there. special special
2: luck feels yeah. like Tom Cruise telling me he learned to fly a jet. Yes. Like that, exactly. that's what it yeah. feels like. Yes. Yeah, it's the
3: gotta man. have some sort of commentary or informative element. Which I don't want to spoil the latest trailer for Lightyear
0: because Kyle hasn't watched it, but it was weird when Tom Cruise popped in and just <laughs> talking and started talking about flying a jet. I didn't understand what he was going for. Uh Kyle, do you see they um announced the next uh, Pixar film? Today? No, I missed this. Well, uh, it's, it's your favorite director at, at Pixar, uh, Peter Sohn, the director of Good Dinosaur, the movie that ultimately does not exist. Um, boy, people really stopped talking about the Good Dinosaur. What, um, <laughs> but uh, it's called Elemental, and apparently okay. it's about what if Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water were people.
4: Reunited? Oh, okay, gotcha. So, um, seems okay. No, that sounds great. I, I Peter Sohn, I think he... I mean, he's yeah, he's a, his name's on the Good Dinosaur, but I think... He sort of came in at the last minute and sort of tried to f- fix that movie, you know. Ooh, sort was of the, it? right? The idea. Wait, was did it? the good
3: dinosaur come out? <laughs> yeah. You haven't
0: seen the good dinosaur? The good dinosaur? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I just kind of thought it never happened. No, it happened, no, no, no. and it, boy, it was at of a whiff. There's cool stuff in it. Like yeah. he, here's a
4: first, cool first. It's one of those like first fifteen minutes, pretty dang cool. Cool idea, and then it's right. Like, oh. Trails wow, out. and I like but the I, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought Soane kind of came in late on that. God, I, I thought that this happened... was a movie that had been passed around internally a lot, and he was just kind of there at the finish line.
0: It could be. I don't remember it. I feel like it's happened with seventy percent of Pixar films, but I forget yeah, if that, that was one true. of them. Yeah, yeah.
4: but uh, I, but the, that all that to say is like it doesn't make me not want to see what he right gets yeah to totally do, he gets the whole project. You know,
0: right, right. There's some kind of weird in like uh, they have. Two main characters, just like an early piece of concept art, and the water person's name is Wade. And then I think like Flame is the fire person. But it's weird to see like another fire person because I think of like Anger from Inside Out. It's like, that was your fire person, Pixar. Now you got a second one. It's confusing.
3: Uh, anyways, yeah, Tr- so confusing. <laughs> Kids no are rioting in the theaters. Uh, <laughs> Wade is a great name for a water person. It's pretty good. It's a a pretty
0: good. good. Uh, Trent Parker writes in and says, Hello, Min Max crew. I would like to submit my better quest goal to be a better brother this month. I love this, Trent. And this is, I love this specific story. We could all learn from it. Trent says, my brother always dreamed of being a writer and a while back he actually wrote an entire novel. He went through the effort to have a paperback copy made for me and a couple other family members and friends and everything and he sent it out and um, I never finished it. And I I feel like that's a good case of point. So he's going to finish reading that book because I guess he's re-releasing it on Amazon now. So you should do that, Trent. You should be a good brother. I get that. I get that, but you can make it better. Uh, Will says hello, Minmax. So I guess this is technically a better quest submission. That's right. Uh, right after the pandemic hit, I bought myself a nice exercise bike because I figured I'd be staying indoors a lot more, and I might as well spend some time working on this schlub. <laughs> That's you. Uh, which turned out to be true, but uh, I never opened the box. In fact, it's still sitting on my living room floor as I typed this untouched since I got it like two years ago, and I'm schlubbier now than ever. Is there any chance I could get any of you to yell at me to finally motivate me to put this thing together? Just really berate me. Get creative with it. I got to have some accountability here. I'm just going to fuse with my couch one of these days. Okay. Um, Man, you've had a box on your... Like, I don't even care
2: if you're biking. Like, you've had a box in the same place on your floor for two years? Like...
0: Is
4: come this, on, man.
2: Get your life together, man.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, come on, Will. We're we're really banking on you here. You need to get off your frickin' butt and go open that box, take it out, and start
4: sweating. That's right. And put yeah, it me- put in front of the TV and just play video games while
3: you're on that thing. Absolutely. That works right. Absolutely. And maybe it'll be a gateway for you to drag your sorry butt actually outside on a real bike at some point. That's like hey, aspirational hey, hey, goal. behind it. That's
2: right, that's right. And why I don't you read... I in the camera this
4: way and I've got my exercise bike that I play while playing Vampire Survivors. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, and, perfect. And, oh, I might have to start doing that. That's smart.
0: Will, why haven't you read Trent's brother's book? You lazy piece of work, get on it! It's on Amazon you while now. you're on the bike. Uh, let's see. Kenny Tag wrote in and says, Hey, it took place in my first trivia tower this week. Congratulations. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Khalif Adams was awesome as always as the co-host. My question is, w- are the winners robots from the future? How do they know the answers so quickly? <laughs> the person that got No Man's Sky from the Google Trends data must have been a Google become sentient, right? Thank you. And as a recent Patreon supporter uh, and subscriber, I love the MinMax content. Thank you, Kenny. That's very sweet. Um, yeah, we debuted a new category. This this uh, month's episode of Trivia Tower, it's up on YouTube. You can check it out. Uh, if you're interested in game trivia, please check it out. Help share the show. We'd appreciate it. Um, but it was all new categories. And one of them I thought was going to be impossible and people were scary good, where I just took... The Google trend data for how popular it was for people to Google this game and removed all the names, of course, so you can only see the dates and have people try and guess it. And somebody got No Man's Sky. It was the first guess. They saw, like, the chart of popularity of No Man's Sky and, like, No Man's Sky. It was it was freaky.
3: Okay. You know, the, the way that has to work, though, is, like, the the saying... When you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. Right? If no, if no man's sky is your game, and right. if you love it, if you love it, and you see trend data for it like that, and you know that, I mean, I can see you putting that together instantly because it's like no matter what data that would have been the first thing that person's mind did would would have been like is this no man's sky right 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 whenever anyone
2: wins trivia tower i imagine that it is kind of their personal slumdog millionaire where like everything in their life has led them to like that combination of questions and
0: yeah totally yeah people always say like oh it's so intimidating everybody goes so fast how do they know all this stuff it's like Hey, if you're watching at home, we encourage you to jump in and play because you only need to know one thing to get out of that first round. You only need to be nostalgic and have just a weird detail in your head for one game, which, if you're listening to this, you do have in your head. Like, your game could pop up. Miracles can happen. Somebody has to win these things. So thanks, everybody, for competing and playing. I think it was a really fun episode this, this month, so check it out. Um, Let's see. Oh, uh, Michael Berry writes in with an interesting one saying, Hey, man, Max, I've recently been playing around with a 3DO and its library of Fever Dream games. The 3DO is littered with bad luck and bad choices. However, one choice that I appreciate is how they developed the controllers to be daisy-chained for multiplayer. At the time, I thought it was cool to have a design where you could have three or more players without the need of a multi-tap. I don't believe anybody tried this. Uh, The introduction of wireless controllers in subsequent generations made this idea become obsolete very quickly, but I still find it a novel approach. I'd never heard that. That's a cool idea. So you would just connect the second controller to the player one controller and then you can daisy chain all of them. That's such a funky idea. I had no idea. Yeah, it's
4: worked top. Yeah.
0: You knew that Kyle about the 3 do
4: I, I had a neighbor who had a 3 do Yeah. Which wow. was, we were all fascinated by. Cause it was like pre DVD and he had like a, a disc that came with it that had clips of like cartoon shows. Like you could watch a five minute clip of Batman, the animated series on your oh, TV with the 3 do and stuff.
0: Cool. Um, And then Michael asks, are there any ideas or concepts in the industry that landed with a thud but you secretly dug?
4: Thud dug? Maybe a a bad answer, honestly, but, like, I really liked the the idea behind the Wii U, and after it was kind of a failure, I was really scared that Nintendo just would have abandoned it wholly. So when the Switch was announced, and it was basically, like, everything I really liked about the Wii U... You know, I was that was I thought that was really awesome, but that's kind of a bad I- example because it was like a good idea that got elaborated on and improved tremendously.
3: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs>
4: Rather than abandoned fully.
3: Yeah. I don't know if you can say this landed with a thud, considering how like expensive and rare they are. But I really liked the idea of use of the adapter that let you play GBA games on your GameCube.
0: Yeah, we're all getting to the know, same ideas. Yeah, it's like it's all leading yeah. to the Switch in the end. Yeah. Uh Matt Did you,
4: you didn't do Super Game Boy Joe? You didn't have one of those?
0: For the Super Nintendo?
4: Yeah. Mm, oh, no. Yeah, that was huge for us, was to have the Super Game Boy plug in the, the Game Boy games into the Super Nintendo. Gee,
3: I honestly didn't even know that existed. Really? really? What? <laughs> yeah. Huh.
4: Yeah, that's... you could there was like weird stuff that you could do with it. You could draw on screen. With it, like it had like some like Mario Paint kind of features to it, and like certain games would have color palettes using the Super Game Boy. I right, think, right, right. Metroid
3: Two had one. Yeah. Jeez, I I'm kind of blindsided right now. I had, there's this whole thing that I just escaped <laughs> <It's> <laughs> escaped gone. my notice for so Weird. long. Weird. Uh, Very
0: cool. Matthew W wrote in and says, "Hey, even Maxers, in RPGs or adventure games, do you prefer it when money is easy to come by and you can purchase items and equipments or anything you want, or do you prefer the tension of having to tightly budget your character's expenditures?"
2: Tension. Tension. This goes back to the citizen sleeper uh, angle, Ooh, but also, sure. you know, where I, I liked, you know, not knowing what I was going to spend money on. But also, I feel like when there's too much money, there's almost always also too much gear like too much loot and i would much rather have a game that has like one armor set than i'm saving up for rather than like 20 that all kind of have stats that i don't understand yeah totally
3: yeah i think that like i kind of prefer games that don't even use that system for it like like don't make you spend money. Go to a shop, spend money, and get your gear. I like things more like, I mean, take Returnal, for example, where it's, like, I just, like, I guess it's not an RPG, but that, that idea of, like, finding and unlocking better things to use and having your progression controlled that way rather than by, like, what you can afford to equip yourself with. But, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: Brian Alvarez with Cyberpunk's Disastrous Launch, Starfield's Delay, and Bioware's Dormancy, there really hasn't been many huge titles these last few years. I get the distinct feeling that the next Dragon Age might be Bioware's last game as a studio. That's bold, I doubt that. But anyways, um, and that would leave two major studios standing that produce these titles. Are AAA Western RPGs becoming endangered? Are they the, the Great Condor?
2: Hmm. I, th- I think... think-
0: the Go definition
2: ahead, of RPG just feels like it's it's just diluted, you know, because it's right. like, you know, God of War is an RPG like, it, you know, you you have you experience points, you get stats. Horizon Forbidden West is an RPG like right, all of right. these. There are big games. They're just they're less kind of pure. They're they're more in the like action RPG genre because everything is kind of an RPG.
0: Right. Assassin's Creed, Gotham Knights. Yeah, it's it's just different from what you've come to know.
4: I mean, I think it's, Obsidian's got it covered, right? There. They'll take care of that, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Avowed probably is going to scratch yeah. that itch in a big way. Yeah.
4: But even
3: something like, I think, uh, Outer Worlds. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taps. But, like, that taps more into, I think, what Jacob's talking about, right? Is, like, that taps more into the blurring of what an RPG even is or isn't anymore because it's just like elements that people associate with you know pure RPGs are just being um you know borrowed and adapted in all kinds of different places so
2: I think yeah like you know Starfield is
3: going to be the biggest
2: game in the world and that's an RPG probably so
0: yeah also yeah. looking into it it feels like we're about due for an announcement of kingdom come deliverance 2 as well <laughs> remember that game that came out oh wow that
3: was a
0: that was something that was something um i think they probably patched it i'm assuming they patched it to a decent spot uh let's see uh matthias Jolch, i'm sorry or julik uh wrote in and says hey necromincers oh you dirty dog uh what defunct game studio would you like to resurrect if you could bring anybody back from the dead cor- no corporation wise uh, is it
2: cheeky to say team silent what is team silent like the silent hill people
1: oh, who made,
2: oh. you know hmm. one and two or i guess through
0: four actually really? yeah i never knew they were called team silent um no that's not cheeky we'll take it we'll take it
4: clover kyle oh, you said clover yeah i think I mean, that's right that's just platinum though right yeah but i don't like platinum as much which is probably heresy <laughs> but I'm I, mean, not, uh, I don't love any Platinum games, but I love Okami, you know?
3: I was going to say Clover really only made Beautiful Joe 2 and Okami, right?
4: And Godhand, your beloved God Oh, Hand. and God Hand! Godhand, oh, God, God Hand! God,
0: <laughs> Hand God Hand! We all yeah. make mistakes. Uh, I think Alpha Dream, for me, uh, they could finally mm. make the Tomato Adventure sequel, um, which would be called Pepper Adventure. so everybody get ready for that. Um, they teased it at the end of that game. Spoilers for the end of Tomato Adventure! Um, but yeah, I was so curious to see what they were going to do when they finally got off handheld and hopefully got away from the Mario & Luigi series and tried something new, and it's like, oh, they're finally making the Switch! And they'll make a big console game! And then the studio went bankrupt, which is a real bummer.
3: Sorry think- that happened to you, Ben. Thanks, man. Uh, for, for me, this is maybe a little bit of a weird one, but like Lionhead is, mm. one for, oh, is yeah, the big a big one, one. one for me um i i really liked uh because they did the fable all of the fable games right like the original yeah, ones yeah yeah and black and white and there, there i mean there are lots of studios out there that i like that i'd like to see more from but it's, i think that there's just a very particular vibe that lionhead stuff had that um i don't think you can get from other studios right now
0: yeah so, yeah yeah are you optimistic about the the fable from playground games
3: I'm excited to see more of it. I mean, like yeah. at this point, I mean, unless I missed something, right. We've no, just got just that, that trailer, that one, that one CG trailer. So um, it's hard for me to say I'm excited off of so little, so little info, but, or I mean, optimistic, Yeah. but I'm, I'm excited to see more of it. And I hope to be optimistic.
0: There we go. I hope to be optimistic. (laughs) Uh, All right, Sam Holden writes in and says, Game time! I came up with a game called Name That Namco. Below will be a list of games, and contestants will have to guess whether they were released by Namco, Namco Bandai, or Bandai Namco. Kyle, you're the only one interested in this, so here you go, get ready. Was this released by Namco, Namco Bandai, or Bandai Namco? So at what stage of their confusing name was this game released? I love Pac- this idea okay pac-man and the ghostly adventures
4: uh bandai namco
0: don't be an idiot it's namco bandai tekken really? tag tournament
4: uh, na- uh namco bandai
0: no you fool that
4: was namco straight up really? tekken oh 5 my gosh. okay what was that tekken 5 Tekken 5 what's tekken 7 is the most recent correct right? namco bandai
0: Oh, this is another Namco, Kyle. You're getting burned out there. Have you never played this before at home?
4: Come on, man. Uh, Tales of the Abyss. Bandai. Bandai Namco.
0: Oh, my God. It's Namco Bandai.
4: (laughs) Uh, Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures 2. This is a trick question. This has got to be Namco Bandai? It's Bandai Namco. Kyle! Wait, wait, so You're Ghost on. Adventures 1 was Namco? Was Namco Bandai
0: and Pac-Man of the Ghost Adventures 2 was Bandai Namco? What's confusing oh, I was, about I, this? I, I
4: thought you said Namco. It was just Namco for that first one. Okay,
0: okay. here we go. Uh, Disney's magical world.
4: Uh Namco Bandai. Oh, Kyle! Kyle! I've probably got one! Champion
0: of the people. Alright, uh Rapid Fire. Ready, Kyle? Dragon okay, Ball yeah. Xenoverse. Bandai Namco. Correct! Dragon Ball Z Extreme Buddha
4: Namco Bandai. Incorrect. Bandai no, just, Namco. Namco.
0: just Namco. No, Bandai Namco. Dragon
4: Ball Z Raging Blast. Ooh, uh, that's Namco Bandai. Correct. That's, Dragon like, Ball Z Connect. Namco Bandai.
0: All right, and the last one Mario Kart Arcade
4: GP. Ooh, uh, that's probably just Namco. Yeah! Okay. Going on. Right, I go. know. Way I to go, it. Kyle.
0: All right, uh, let's see. 10 more rounds of this, and that'll be a podcast, everybody um all right that's it what do you like for question of the week everybody we had starfield's delay which was a huge one angry kratos which was a huge one the leaks debaters. i like angry kratos okay oh. that seems pretty definitive joe you leaning that way too sure yeah that was a good discussion there we go congratulations to swiggity swoo i don't even swoo. like the question i'm just saying i like angry kratos. <laughs> give me the angry guy uh congratulations swiggity swoo you just won a game for switch thanks for friends at i 8-bit uh now it's time for something that we call get a load of this that jingle is sweeping the country that jingle is huge on TikTok, tac joe you're has really... someone
4: has someone covered that one yet
0: no no yeah yeah we had our first uh cover on guitar of the min max intro theme oh, wow. so yeah thanks to hunter blessing i think it was that did that it's very sweet you can find it on our youtube channel or on uh, twitter i mean
4: um hey uh kyle you got one for get a load of this Yeah, so this is an older tweet. Uh, This is from Josh Scher, who was at Naughty Dog for 21 years, uh, co-writer on Uncharted 4 and Uncharted Lost Legacy, and he had this tweet a while ago. So much of the work I did prior to Naughty Dog is no longer viewable or never was. By contrast, this music video I worked on 20-plus years ago has 800 million views. Really fun project, if frantic, the whole thing was done. In less than four weeks with a very small team, and the music video that he is referencing in that tweet... Is Red Hot Chili Peppers' Californication? Hell yeah. You guys remember that video? It's like, it looks like a, I don't know, like a Xbox 360 game or something. Yeah. But uh, he has a thread of just like working on that and uh, what that was like. And I thought it was really interesting.
0: Awesome. Yeah, because he's an animator going back to all yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah, he
4: says it, looking back at his animation on that, he winces now. He, he doesn't like to look at it.
0: That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's a news story in the last year of somebody like making a video game. The, like the actual video game of that music oh, really? video, which is a really funny idea. Like oh, copyright really. wise, who knows where that lands, but I love it. Um, hey, get a load of this. This is a weird one. I was listening to a podcast about dinosaurs uh, called Terrible Lizards, maybe in preparation for an interview coming up in the future. Um, and they mentioned this concept in nature that I've never heard of before, but it's fascinating and it's found in butterflies and birds. And it's called, forgive me, it's called bilateral gynandromorphism. Where it's a rare thing, but in butterflies and birds, certain times, apparently, um, gender can be split in half. So there's butterflies where they have two different patterns on their wings, depending on the male and female. And, like, look this up for, like, they have pictures of, like, cardinals, where it's, like, the male and female cardinal, cardinal, and it's just, like, a two-faced split of this gender. It's really wild, but bilateral gynandromorphism for a fun thing of nature that I
3: never knew of before. Um, you got one there, Joe? Yeah, I do. I was trying to decide between a sad one and a happy one, and happy, I'm gonna go happy, with the happy, happy one. Oh, thank god. So it's just it's just real quick and stupid, but I saw it floating around on Twitter that uh there's a okay, so there's a video going around of the final dance from the movie Dirty Dancing. Yeah. I Except so instead, of, instead of the normal thing, go, the normal song going on, they have it set to the Muppet Show theme. <laughs> Very appropriate. And it just, there, there are a few spots where it just syncs up but like perfectly in a hilarious way. So (laughs) uh, I saw that and like, it's not often that I'm just like scrolling on Twitter and see something that like literally makes me laugh out loud. (laughs) This made me laugh laugh out loud. So uh, that's a happy little part of my week.
0: That's great. There's links below for all this fun stuff. Jacob Geller, please have
3: a sad Uh, one for us dude
2: get a load of this um the youtube channel mkbhd which is i mean has 15 million viewers it's a big tech channel but he put out a video that is called ai made this thumbnail and it is about a new uh ai kind of learning program called dolly 2 spelled kind of like wally um and what it is is a program where it's not publicly available so he got this kind of like as a special thing but it's still very kind of kept under wraps for right now but you can just type in any kind of description of an image and it will make that image. And it's not like it's collaging together different. It's not like here's a picture of an astronaut and here's whatever. It's like you type in like astronaut on a horse and it creates an entirely new image of an astronaut on a horse. And not only does it do it once, it does it like several times with different takes, with different like art styles. And you can get, I mean, in this video, he gets unbelievably specific where he, he types in like, uh, a painting inspired by the Mona Lisa of a goat taking a selfie with an iPad. And then it <laughs> oh like comes God. up with like pictures <laughs> that look like that. And it's, I mean, it's, it's the first time in a while where I've looked at something and felt like I was looking at the future, not in like a kind of cool aspirational way, but yeah. just a like, oh my God, this is going to be a thing and it's going to change everything. Because you see this and it's just like, well stock images won't need to exist anymore and like maybe even kind of graphic designers you know will be will still exist but only for kind of like the elite and it's like this if it becomes publicly accessible will just be what everything is made of forever because it's like you can just type (laughs) in a tiger discovering an atlantis and it gives you 10 different pictures of a tiger discovering atlantis Like it's it's unbelievable it is so weird and kind of terrifying but like incredibly interesting
0: i love that yeah i saw jeff keely was tweeting about it where he was just typing in the last of us but it's in a space station it's like yeah here's just what looks like screenshots or concept art from a new last of us in space it's really wild um, hey, uh, from the community in the Discord, there's a whole get a load of this channel, which is a great way to keep up on fun little factoids. And, uh, Smack shared this. It's from a Twitter account called Mario, uh, or Supper Mario Broth. And they say, throughout the Mario franchise, Mario does not speak very often outside of short exclamations like, here we go. Below, though, is a selection of lesser known quotes by Mario that are either unexpected or surprisingly profound. So these are actual quotes that mario has said at other points in his history here um mia i've always wanted to get slimed that was on the mario and luigi paper jam themed ad for the 2016 nickelodeon kids choice awards so you have that um pizza pizza who pizza the heck out of me that was in mario's game gallery so that's one of the several phrases when the game is left on idle for too long ah that charles martin a nice italian boy Apparently that plays during the credits for Mario vs. Donkey Kong. <laughs> this one seems bizarre. Looks like Mario's gonna have to find a job! That is in Super Mario Sunshine, heard extremely quietly during the intro for the Japanese version only. <laughs> probably Char- hey,
3: that's probably Charles Martinet just talking to himself. He <laughs> just forgot to cut the audio short, right? yeah,
0: yeah, there's uh, Mario's got to be fiscally responsible! That's from Fortune Street. When deciding not to buy a property, (laughs) that weird square (laughs) game on the 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 Wii, Wii, right? Yeah. Oh boy. Let's see. Uh, Here's one. Why there's a great big world out there, and as big as the Earth seems, it's just a speck of dust in the universe. Beyond our galactic system are more stars, billions and billions of stars. That's from Super Mario Adventures, uh, Nintendo Power from 1992. Uh, Not, not Galaxy. (laughs) <laughs> no of course not it's, it's, okay oh, i'm sorry the last one uh promotional interview for new super mario brothers for from 2006 uh mario says you know i think i oh, talking about princess peach he goes you know i think it's time for all of us to chip in and get her a better security system for her castle something's gotta happen it's getting cuckoo crazy ridiculous
2: So there you go, everybody. Uh, You know when you're on those press junkets for so long and you just don't even know what you're saying anymore. Mario's just, like, getting more and more candid. (laughs) He's
0: melting down. Uh, All right, that's it for a podcast. Thanks so much for watching and listening, everybody. We appreciate it. If you made it this far, your family, as uh, Kyle Bossman used to say over there at Easy Allies. Um, Let's see. Plugs. Um, This week, Trivia Tower, obviously up on YouTube. Any help sharing that's appreciated. Uh, Jacob Geller and I posted an interview on Monday. It feels like a lifetime ago, but I guess that was just Monday um, with the creators of the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Thanks for joining me for that, Jacob. It was great. Yeah, with uh, the director and the art director, and it's diving into all of the interesting secrets about that game, which, as we teased before, is a confusing thing to convey, but if you played the Stanley Parable, you should still definitely play Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, and if you've never played Stanley Parable, you should still definitely play Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe because the original game is bundled in there, and there are a lot of fun secrets and uh yeah i I tease this dumb thing on twitter but basically the, the the fun surprising things that are in stanley parable ultra deluxe they go through some other options for those fun surprising things and it's very fun to hear what the team was thinking about what could go in there Never mind, this is too cagey. You get the idea. It's, it's a fun interview if you finish that game. Uh, let's see, Party Chat, our Patreon exclusive podcast, which again is in the bonus podcast feed. Somebody just messaged me on Patreon they're like, you don't talk about Party Chat enough. You should talk about that more. I, didn't, I just found out that it existed. But yeah, we do a bonus podcast each and every week. You can more than double the amount of MinMax podcast uh, content available to you in your favorite podcast app if you support us over on Patreon. And Party Chat, we post every Monday. Uh, this week, we talked about the PlayStation Plus games, that full List of games that are going to be revealed for the big overhaul PlayStation Plus. So if you want to break down that and a bunch of other fun discussions, uh please unlock party chat, everybody. Also, Crossfade, our music podcast, hosted by Matt Helgeson, former host of the Game Informer Show podcast and co-hosted by Jason Daphnis. Um, this episode coming up on Friday is all about Matt Helgeson and Jason Daffness's favorite albums of twenty twenty two so far. So they break those down. That's our music podcast, and that's not a Patreon-exclusive thing. You can find that in your favorite podcast app. Just search Crossfade. It's the Dueling Album Review Show. And the episode prior to this one featured one Joe Juba himself.
3: Me? Yeah, I was... <laughs> I'm not necessarily the most musical guy, but it was really fun to to chat with with those folks. Focused a lot on uh, the lyrics of my one of my favorite bands, the Mountain Goats, and uh, yeah... It's a fun time. a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, check it out. Crossfade, everybody. We'd appreciate the support there. Uh, Jacob Geller, what do you got going on, sir?
2: Uh, As of today, when the podcast releases, I have a new video out on Patreon, and it will be out uh, the next day, so Friday, May 20th. Uh, uh, Yeah, it's out now on my channel, Jacob Geller. It's about autopsies Uh, but it's uh, it's not uh, it's not horrifying like it's it's not a horror video so uh, I don't know check that out there we go
4: okay autopsies head transplant Metal Gear Rising Yeah, metal gear I, I made a
2: joke in my last video because i was talking about metal gear rising and then i like had i was like is it weird that i'm obsessed with two games from the same generation that both feature like dismemberment as a gameplay feature <laughs> because also dead space has that and it's like then my other two videos have been about head transplants and uh, autopsies. so i feel like i'm really going through something
0: well i'm glad you're working it out on the internet for everybody to look at and comment yeah. on yeah All right, thank you so much, everybody, for supporting us, for listening to this, Uh, and also thank you to our game champions, the people who chose a game at the $50 tier on Patreon. They can choose anything under the sun, and they can officially be declared the game champion. So Fred, let it be known, is the official game champion of Tetris 99. There are millions of players maybe just 99 of them but fred is always the champion of tetris 99 let it be known jesse spencer is the champion of nino cooney the original my god he's been spirited away uh procyon number six the champion again of sly 2 band of thieves (laughs) really championing that game you're already the champion procyon hell yeah uh dominic sechoki is the champion of life is strange 2 i love that choice Andrea Silva chose Dark Cloud. They're officially the champion of Dark Cloud. Joe, what's better than Dark Cloud, huh? Uh, lots of stuff. Yeah, but not Dark that Cloud much too. stuff. <laughs> Dark Cloud <laughs> one's pretty sweet. I love that game. Uh, thanks, everybody. You can choose any game under the sun, and we'll read off your name and also tweet it out. And you'll be in the description for every next video, and your game will be in the running then for the game championship for the next big bundle. And we'll make content about it with you if it wins. All right, thank you so much everybody for being here. Thanks for being on the show. I can't thank everybody enough, so at this point I can only do one thing, which is to tell everybody to be good, have fun, let's go.